What's up, Swift Coders? This is Garrick from your favorite Swift podcast. Before we begin this next episode, I just want to let you know that me, Raghav Mangrola, and Stephen Berard are hosting a Swift Coders meet and greet at AltConf this year during WWDC on Wednesday, June 7th, 2017 at the community space at AltConf at the San Jose Marriott from 12 p.m. to 1.30 p.m. If you're planning to be in the area at that time, come to our meet and greet where you'll be able to talk with past guests of the Swift Coders podcast, with leaders of our Learn Swift group of meetups, as well as Swift Coder community members. You've heard their stories, now meet them in person. Thank them for inspiring you along your journey and learn even more tips and tricks. If you're interested in starting a Learn Swift meetup in your community, come speak with our leaders about the how, what, and the why of being a Learn Swift organizer. Find the event registration link in the show notes. All right, that's it for now. I look forward to meeting you at DubDub soon. And without further ado... Hello and welcome to the Swift Coders Podcast, where each week we interview an amazing Swift developer about their experience with Apple's new open source programming language. We hear their stories, learn their tips and tricks, and try to leave you feeling inspired and empowered on your Swift Coder journey. I'm your host, Garrick, and today's guest is Robert Widman. Robert is a rising junior at Carnegie Mellon University, where he studies mathematics. He was an intern at Apple on the Swift front-end team in 2016, and he will be interning at Apple on the Swift Static Analysis team this summer. Robert is also a frequent contributor to Swift Open Source. Welcome to the show, Robert. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it is. I feel good. <laughs> I'm really excited to interview you. Yeah, well, I, uh, yeah, I, re I, I really am. I also <laughs> drink coffee because, like, this is the earliest I've ever. I feel like the earliest I've ever recorded. Uh, you know, I usually like start oh. recording around ten or something, or twelve even. Lately, I've been doing twelve, and it's uh, we started at nine, so I had to wake up around like eight. And uh, so I had to drink coffee. I was like, Lucy, like make coffee. <laughs> so, uh, so my heart's, my heart's going a little, uh, a little right now. And also, I don't know, in some ways, I guess I just like, yeah, I mean, I, I fan out a little. And so you're not necessarily like um, really famous or something in the Swift community. But to me, like you're pretty, I don't know, you just seem pretty incredible. Like you're, first off, you helped me. Oh. Yeah, you helped me with uh, the Swift open source stuff, which we can get into. I got a PR merged in and you helped me with that. And then like the fact that you like intern at Apple, that's like pretty cool. And um, I don't know, this whole like, I mean, that sounds crazy. Like mathematics, um, like a mm -hmm. degree or something. What, what would you call it? Student at uh, Carnegie Mellon. I don't know. So maybe that that's playing into it a little bit. Uh, and also the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm flattered, I guess. <laughs> right on, right on. So what are you up to uh, right now? What are you What are you up to this instant? Uh, this instant, I was... Uh, I, I just got back uh, from university. I finished my finals and moved out and everything. And uh, I was doing some... Um, I saw this wonderful subreddit called The Daily Prover, which just got started, which has some uh, exercises for dependently typed programming languages and all that thing, and I started working on that. And uh, at the moment, I'm writing bindings for LVM, uh, in particular the LVM Intrinsics uh, API. And uh, it's 
yeah, it's a, it's, it's a lot of, of, of things <laughs> going on at once. <laughs> wow, wow. Never just a normal day for you. So the Daily Prover subreddit where you're you're doing these like coding challenges or something, mathematics challenges, and then you're doing something with the compiler, you said? Like, man, I don't know. That's just, it's it's pretty interesting. Like, I, I had this like same kind of feeling when I was interviewing Chris uh, Latner. Like, you know, I'm just, I feel like I'm just this like, Swift developer, you know, making iOS apps or something like that. And, and, uh, and, you know, then you have like people like you or like Harlan, who we mentioned offline, who, you know, I've talked to a little bit, or like people who are like, you know, they're working on the compiler and stuff like that. And I mean, we, like, we're, we are a, like a mutual, we're like a symbiotic thing, right? Like you guys, mm-hmm. I mean, Swift is open source. So not, it's not just you guys, like anybody can contribute, but like, um, the people, make the language and then the uh, other you know, other people use the language and like they kind of you, you need both right and so but then sometimes i guess it's just like oh like who's the real programmer or something like that you know but obviously we don't oh. need to feel that way like what are your oh. thoughts <laughs> um i i'm not a fan of the the no true scotsman uh, argument when it comes to programming because there's so many there's so many different ways to approach it and i feel like coming at it from you know mathematics and theorem proving is is only one of those ways and coming at it from from compiler writing is another and coming at it from app development is is, a, is another one and you know there's there's everything in between and and everything outside of that it all counts as programming and i mean even people making computers that use water and wood you know it's it's computing interesting okay so there's a couple nuggets in there so what's the true scotsman thing uh, just the the idea that being you know uh, writing in a, say like writing in a lower level programming language like assembly or uh, God forbid uh, x86 uh, bit code or something makes you uh, somehow more of a, a real programmer than somebody who uses Node.js or or uh, Agda, or or Haskell, or you know, or, or, or on the flip side, yeah, some or Swift, or, or somebody who uses Haskell and, and knows a lot of of the you know the mathematics behind things, being more of a real programmer in in, in quotes. I never than, heard that. Than somebody who uses Python. I never heard that saying before. <laughs> no true Scotsman. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Okay, so then, I guess then it's the... sort of like the inverse. What do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no true Scotsman is supposed to be like, uh, you have a group and then you have bad members of that group and you say, oh, they're not really part of my group because they're not true. Interesting. They, they don't. Yeah. I like that. No true. I just see like, you know, some tartan and, uh, what's it <laughs> yeah. called? Those, uh, and the bagpipes and the skirt or whatever. Anyways, I have a couple of Scottish But instead friends. you're actually in Portland and they're uh, <laughs> on a unicycle and they're like, oh, no true programmer uses uses Ruby. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then the computing with water and wood? Are you saying like just in general engineering? Like, you know, before yeah, well, there was there, like electronic engineering. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, there's many different ways to approach... Uh, computing and and the philosophy of computation as a whole, which I know is zooming way out from where we're supposed to be, but uh, <laughs> I guess it it it, 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 it it goes back to the point, I guess, of of like there's many different ways to approach uh, computing and computer science and programming in general, and and 
sometimes these things don't necessarily intertwine as much as people think that they do. And so there's a lot of different ways to get in and get out. To me, it's also about uh, problem solving. And that's what we do. That's at least Absolutely. one thing that we do or can do as computer programmers. And it's one medium of problem solving. And so you can solve problems with water and wood. Um, or if you look at like some of these magician uh, movies like The Prestige, they had an ingenue, an engineer who created the apparatus that were used for these magic tricks. Right. And so it's just like problem solving, uh, whatever it is, like how do you, you have a problem? How do you solve it with the tools that you have? And computer programming is exactly. one tool to solve a certain kind of problem. And I think that's like one thing that binds us all is that we exactly. um, enjoy exactly. solving problems. And so like, I think a lot of people that are listening can relate to that. Like you're probably thinking right now, like, yeah, you're right. I do like solving problems. And that's like <laughs> what I realized when I got into programming was like, yeah, that's, that's like the human brain. That's what it does. Some, exactly. hu some human brains just like doing that more. They love exercising that muscle more. Um, so yeah, anyways, but I, you know, I, I can't help but feel that and like the whole imposter like syndrome thing. Um, but mm. it's like, it's great to hear you say that. Um, so yeah. Okay. So you're, yeah. that's what you're up to right now. Um, so you said you finished <laughs> your, your finals. How did that go? Or I guess you, maybe you didn't get your grades back yet or whatever, but how did it go? Yeah. Uh, I think it, it went uh, just fine. And awesome. uh, really the, cool. the more stressful part was just getting uh, everything moved out afterwards. Okay. Okay, because like you're moving, <laughs> you're moving, and then but then after the summer you'll go back and you're gonna move back in somewhere. Okay, okay, that's cool. Yeah, nice Carnegie Mellon. I never, I don't think I've ever visited there. That's awesome. Well, maybe we'll talk it, a little bit about yeah. that. Oh, sorry, go ahead. It, it's a really interesting place. So yeah, be, feel free to ask questions about CMU. Okay, cool. Yeah, like I don't know. I think that'll be interesting to to, to learn like how you got into there and all that. But before we do that, mm -hmm. then. Let's uh, talk about how you got into programming. Uh, do you remember like what your earliest hmm. memory is of that? So my earliest, earliest memory, which is very hazy right now, is maybe third grade. Um, maybe earlier than that, uh, but I don't have concrete memories. But it was Lego Mindstorms. Okay. And I know a lot of your guests come on and they're like, oh, yeah, I was using a, I was using a ZX80 or, or uh, <laughs> so there's some, some ancient hardware that I have uh, you know, passing knowledge of uh, that uses punch cards and paper tape and all that stuff. And, <laughs> and, and then you got, the, you got my generation of programmers that are like, yeah, I came into this with, a, with an actual IDE. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, but Lego Mindstorms was, uh, I, I don't know if anybody's, uh, any of your audience have used it, but it, it, it's, uh, it presents you with a, a canvas and uh, you can drag structural elements that look like Lego blocks and then connect them um, together using using sort of control flow, I guess, is the way to do that. Interesting. Like, it, 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 you would like drag blocks together and then you could describe branching structures if you needed to like do X if condition is true or Y if condition is false. And and, and it was a graphical programming environment. And, and then you would just upload that to a, to a little robot that, that the team had built and, and it would execute your commands. Do you remember how that game ended up in your life? Or, or Lego, um, my, I don't know if it's I, a game, but. 
<laughs> I, it was actually a competition, and I think it still is a competition, uh, or it's like a subset of state robotics competitions for elementary schoolers is uh, Lego Mindstorms. They, they had an official like map that they would give you, and you would stick the robot on it, and they would have a number of challenges, and I remember it was especially environmentally themed. Like, uh, there would be windmills in one part of the map, and you needed to push them from their starting position onto like some colored square. Uh, somewhere else on the board, there was like a house that was missing some parts. There was, you know, a track you should uh, you should accurately go along or whatever. You know, the little challenges, and the more challenges you finish, the more points you get. So it's very open ended. Okay, so you are going to to school in third grade, and this organization comes and puts together this robotics competition at your school. I I think it was it was more of a state thing actually. Oh, okay, nice. Go yeah. state. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Colorado's nice. And like how that. did how did you hear about it? Like you saw a poster, or I, I I have no idea how I got started with this, but all I knew is that I was doing it. So <laughs> interesting, interesting. Do you remember like how you felt when you did it, or did you know what you were doing? Um, I do have a love of Legos, and I think uh, everybody has a little soft spot for putting things together. Yeah. Um, but especially getting to to see something that you put together, not just not just sit there and, and be a piece of art or, or 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 something like that, but but actually move and respond to to the actions that you program that, that you tell it to do, you know, uh, and and to to you know on top of that to to go to a competition and to to see that all that work that you did actually pays off in the end. It's really satisfying. So third grade, you're still pretty young. I mean, I don't remember being very conscious, at, you know, in third grade. After you did this competition, um, you know, did you guys win the competition? Uh, I don't think we ever did, but we okay. did have a lot of fun doing it. And, okay, and that so you was had really all this, what stuck with me. Yeah, so you had all this fun. You said, it, okay, you just said it stuck with you. So do you remember thinking like, this is actually something more than just playing with Legos and then this is programming and now I'm going to do programming? Or how did that... How did playing with the Lego Mindstorm translate to doing, well, I guess you're, you're doing mathematics in school, but yeah. um, how, how did that translate to now doing computer science or like programming? So there's a very nonlinear path here. Like the Mindstorms stopped after elementary school, but my middle school had the start of a, a you could call it a CS course in a way. It, it wasn't really that much of a CS course, but there was programming involved in it at one point, and in particular, Scratch, uh, project out of MIT, uh, for those that don't know, which is another graphical environment, uh, a lot less, uh, uh, at the time it was a lot less user-friendly than LEGO Mindstorm's IDE, but um, it's still today, it's, it's, it's grown far beyond that, and it's it's become a sort of phenomenon, actually. Um, uh, of, of for teaching uh, young children, especially uh, how to program, and and the flip side of Scratch, more for three dimensional stuff, was Storytelling Alice, uh, which is perhaps a little more obscure than Scratch, uh, but accomplishes much the same thing. And for that, there were again programming competitions, and what I can remember is that my uh, teacher noticed that I was particularly good at putting together Scratch games uh, because of my prior experience with these kinds of things. And um, we it, it took me and a couple of other kids to a state competition. And it was just a general engineering event, but there was 
there was a competition specifically that involved Scratch and Storytelling Alice. And uh, we, we won those for three years in a row. Wow. Uh, Wait, what's the Scratch yeah. one? I got this Storytelling Alice, but there's also something called Scratch, you said? Yeah, Scratch out of MIT. Um, I think their website is like, like scratch.occ.mit.edu or something. Okay. And it's like a similar like game slash learn to program type of thing? Yeah, it's specifically an environment for uh, programming games or little... I, I think everything compiles to Java in the end. Um, but it's it's all snapped together. It's all visual. It's it's colorful. It's amazing. I think at one point there was actually an FFI that they had for interfacing with Lego Mindstorms too, which I thought was... Uh, you know, just a little bit of coincidence. But, What's uh, an FFI? Uh, foreign function interface. Uh, foreign uh, function allows, interface. Yeah, it, it allows Scratch's Java components to talk to whatever Mindstorms is. Uh, it's like an API. It is, yeah. Interesting. I never heard that term before. Foreign function interface. So that's cool, man. How did you, did you study computer science or like programming in high school too so you won all these competitions and like mm. were you just like okay i'm gonna study this or so i can remember the launch of the iphone because oh. i was in i was in was i in i think it was in middle school that sounds right yeah so like when the iphone launched my my father especially is a, is a huge fan of, of being, well, he's, a, he's an early adopter type. Um, he went out, he got one, uh, and it was just, it was just magical because before that, like either there were flip phones and, 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 uh, little, uh, crappy, uh, n- n- uh, what are they? 12 button style. I, w- um, I was in Armenia when know, the iPhone, screen. when the iPhone was out and I had a razor. Yeah. A Motorola razor. The, all the rage, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, just, and and just like night and day, the 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 difference uh, in 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 the user experience and and when the platform opened up um, after that, I um, lobbied hard and and scrimped and saved for a, for a Mac, and uh, I, I wound up getting I think it was eighth grade year or something, and I I, I remember at one point thinking like, well this is really nice, but you know, can, can I make it do anything else other than, you know, what, what the developers intended it to? I mean, maybe it wasn't that sophisticated at the time, but I do remember having a feeling of like, uh, I mean, I have this thousand dollar computer and I, I can make it do what I want. Right. Right. And, and so I, I went off and I found that Xcode was a thing. And I think Xcode cost $5 at that point or something strange. <laughs> And uh, I downloaded it and uh, and uh, signed up for the developer program uh, soon afterwards to be able to deploy on device. Uh, and um, I started in iOS development and and I just you know I, I started with with tutorials and I quickly realized that I wasn't learning as well as I maybe should have been from the tutorials. And so after that, I just sort of started looking around and, and noticing that like, oh, well, I, I can just make 50 garbage apps that do one thing or another and, 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 and explore the SDK for myself. I don't have to drop something in the app store. And so I have like an, I have like a, a disc somewhere with all my old iOS projects uh, that, that demonstrate my, my learning curve, I guess, if you put them all together. Um, and, 
at some point, uh, I, I really don't know when, I, I made the jump from iOS to uh, macOS, and I really never looked back. Um, and I started developing Mac apps, and, and uh, that took me up to, I think, about sophomore year of high school. So you did Objective-C then? I did a lot of Objective-C. So, and then when, when you said you had a thousand dollar, um, computer, like, were you talking about the iPhone? I guess because the iPhone was like 600 bucks or were you talking about your Mac? And so you, were you thinking what else could you do with your Mac or with the iPhone? I, I was thinking what else could I do with my Mac? Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Cause, cause you know, I, I'd interacted with, with programmable things before and I, I, I don't know what, what clicked, but it was like, well, shouldn't this also be programmable by definition? Right. Right. <laughs> Uh, it's interesting. I didn't know you did any like Mac or iOS development. I guess I just assumed that you like wrongly uh, just, I don't know, did like compiler stuff, you know, or whatever <laughs> that even means. Uh, uh, so you made some Mac apps. That's cool. What kind of Mac apps did you make? Um, so my interaction, and I guess this that's like the general theme of, of, <laughs> of this is like my, I started practical and then I ended impractical. Like my, I, I didn't release anything onto the app store, but it did get me into open source, which is another thing we probably should talk about. Um, uh, so you can see the, uh, remnants of my, uh, of my senior project, my for for high school, um, and it's called Dot Mail, and uh, you can find it on GitHub. And I think it's under its own organization because it's a lot more than just just the app. We released everything, all the frameworks and the back end, and and the auto updater and a little side app that that we um, put together. What is Dot Mail? So Dot Mail was Tobias Van Schneider, who I believe is a designer at Spotify right now. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, he's got a big beard and, yeah. and a curly mustache. Yeah, he does. It's a very impressive beard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, anyways, he he had designed a, a mail client and he had put it uh, out on the web, and I believe this was just right after Sparrow got um, taken down. Uh, Sparrow, the mail client, uh, yeah. and. It was sort of like, let's redesign email. Let's make it pretty and functional and easy to use. And at the my, my high school makes you do a senior project, and they're very open-ended about it. And I had been writing a lot of Objective-C. I had been writing a lot of um, Mac apps and Mac frameworks for my own edification. And and I, I, I took a look at the concept, and, and I just thought wouldn't this be nice, you know, just, just to start working on this, especially because he released all the designs in the Creative Commons. Um, and so I did. I, I started working on it, and, and I sent him a couple emails after a while, and I was like, hey, man, you know, I, I, I got started with, with, with your designs, and I, I, it's not like I'm ex expecting any money, or I, I don't want to, you know, we don't have to go into business or anything, but I just, I just want to let you know that, that I've, I've done this, and, and what do you think, and maybe I can get the Photoshop uh, file so I don't have to keep slicing assets off your website and um, and he was immediately very receptive to that and to this day I'm I'm very thankful that Tobias was willing to work with me to the to the extent that he did the significant extent that he did and really take a chance on me and and from there I think that was really like the the springboard sort of for for the rest of my career. Wow. So yeah, that was like a significant project then, uh, significant work that you did mm -hmm. in your life at that time. That's interesting. 
Um, and you know, that there's a nugget there for people listening. Like if you don't have something to work on or there's something that you really like, something that you use you and it's open source, you might be able to work on it and uh, reach out to the person and take the initiative and just start creating it. And, and that can, that can push your, you know, your development, your personal development, your career development forward. Uh, and sounds like that's kind of what happened for you. Mm-hmm. That's Absolutely. Super, that's super cool. Okay, so you're, you're doing iOS and Mac apps uh, during high school, and you're, it sounds like you're also working on this dot .mail thing for your senior project of high school. Mm-hmm. And then how do you, and you, so how do you decide to go to study mathematics then? I mean, you're doing all mm. this programming stuff, and you're participating in open source. Like, how does that translate to mathematics? So... I didn't come at math in usually what I would say is a more traditional route. Like most of the majors uh, at CMU, if you ask them, why are you a math major? They'll give you a story about, oh, I was, I was very, very good at math in school and I, maybe I won some competitions or there are always those, that, that subset of kids that are like, yeah, I've been competing since I was two uh, and winning all these awards and stuff and, and uh, it just seemed the natural thing to do or, um, or there's some who are, who want to teach, uh, they, they find that they like math and they like, they like kids and, and they're willing to put the two together. Um, my approach was, I like my, my working understanding of, of what a career in mathematics would have involved if you had asked me junior year of high school was, oh, don't they just keep doing more and more calculus? Like, doesn't it just become calc seven or something. Um, (laughs) and that changed fundamentally when one of my friends, uh, got me talking with a, uh, brilliant, uh, Canadian mathematician who was 19 at the time. His name was Matthew Lynn. And, uh, you won't be able to find much about him on the internet because he does try to keep a very, very low profile. Um, but, Suffice to say, Matthew was one of the most brilliant people I have ever had the pleasure of meeting in my life. And we got to talking over that summer and that year, and he showed me sides of mathematics and, and, and depths and, and nooks and crannies, and, and he took me through everything and, and, and brought me out of the... the allegory of the cave, I guess, you know, just like brought, brought me into the light, uh, and, and showed me that mathematics was this beautiful, rich subject that you could broach any different way that you wanted to. And, and that there were, everything was intertwined and linked together. And, and we, we would have these fascinating discussions about, about the topic of the day. Cause he was, he's quite the algebraist, which really, um, inspired me to, uh, and, 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 uh, and, and we, you know, he would give me papers to read and he would give me uh, interesting little side projects to do. At one point, we set about developing a, uh, a typed version of the APL uh, language. Um, and and that, that was probably one of the first compilers I built. Uh, it didn't work at all. <laughs> Let me say, like right up front, it didn't work. But um, it was a fascinating thing to, to even consider. Um, and... That, that immediately started the functional programming thing. Like talking to him uh, and getting the, the pure mathematical side from him uh, and, and his willingness to work with me 
uh, meant that I could overcome a lot of uh, what many people consider barriers when you're learning to completely change your thinking, you know, going from object-oriented imperative programming to functional programming. Interesting. And, and so wow. I, I, yeah, there's, I, I, I can't really put into words like how much he has shaped the course of, of my studies and my life. And, and I really hope um, wherever he is that he's still listening or, or that he will listen to this at some point um, just so that he understands how much he means to me. Wow. Well, shout out to Matthew Vin. Thank you uh, for being a Matthew good mentor. Vin, yeah. yeah. Sounds like you got to take him out for a, a beer one of these days or something. Uh, I'm just, I'm just messing around. Uh, okay. So how does then mathematics and studying mathematics at Carnegie Mellon then translate to, you're obviously very interested in, in, um, Swift and you're working, you know, you're an intern, you're a contributor. Like, how does that, what does that mean? Or what's like the relationship? How does how do those things kind of fit together? It seems to me like you're, so yeah, you're studying math. Like I actually have a couple, like a couple of my co uh, coworkers, like Nathan. I think he studied math in in college, and um, so it's like mm -hmm. I'm not surprised, I guess, because I've heard this before. But what what does that relationship look like to you? It seems like you're going into being like a Swift developer or like uh, you know working on. I mean, you've interned at Apple already. You're going to intern again. It seems like maybe you're following that kind of a path. How, what does that relationship look like? Like why? How does that work? Like so, math and, and Swift, I guess. Yeah, I have to maybe wax philosophical and say, <laughs> uh, uh, I, that, might, that might be a pun too, so I apologize. But um, <laughs> uh, just the, the um, hmm. math and computation are irrevocably linked to each other. And don't believe anybody who says anything to the contrary. <laughs> There are people who will say there are there's that you don't need to know math to do programming. Fine, I'll agree with that. But to say that math and computer science have nothing to do with each other is is blatantly false, and uh, it's blatantly false because when you start to, it, it's it's in, it's not obvious if you approach computer science and you get a CS degree and you sort of take the math classes that are required of your major and you, or or maybe you don't. Maybe you just you just come into the industry from an early age or, or maybe in a later age, who knows? And, and you just start programming, you pick it up, and it, it doesn't seem obvious to you. Well, like what, what, what role does mathematics play in my life besides, you know, I can multiply two numbers together? Um, but if you come at it from the math side and you, and you learn, you know, you learn a lot of algebra, you learn, maybe you, if you have a good school, you, you, ha you take some category theory courses, uh, and you, you just have all this swirling around in your head about structure and, and, uh, and interaction, and you're like, okay, what does this have to do with computing? So there's 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 this wonderful bridge through the theory of computation, where you can immediately translate experience in programming to experiences in mathematics and vice versa. And I found that bridge through type theory, and it's really pushed uh, the open source work that I've done and, and um, a lot of the, the work that I'm doing that isn't maybe open source right now. Um, and sort of using, using, you know, 
I'm sorry. There, no, there's, no, no. There's, yeah. I'm actually getting. Uh, I, I, it feels it, like it's uh, obviously it's yeah. probably hard to explain, but it feels like once you start to understand it, it, it ha- it's like this beautiful relationship. Um, yeah, where... I, I'm trying not to. I'm trying not to get too technical uh, when, when <laughs> I mention these things, uh, but it, it's it, it's sort of like a lot of there's a, a lot of people think that there's this divide between practicality and and academia shall we say or, right, or industry right. and academia maybe is the better way to put that um and i would posit the gap doesn't exist and that we're actually just talking through each other and that kind of goes back to how i said it's like a symbiotic relationship of like people who are doing things Absolutely. that are more like behind the scenes or almost like more academic um and then people yeah. who are like on the a- front academia end, right? needs industry yeah, academia needs industry to fund its developments and to actually put pen to paper. Or, well, yeah, I mean, look or, at uh, look, to mention Chris Latner again. Like the reason he, one of the reasons he said he went to Apple is because it allowed him to continue to work on his passion project, which was LLVM, I think, or LDB. Yes, LVM. And so, like, he was like an academic in a, in that way, like, or this sort of like really theoretical kind of this more like sciencey part. But he went to industry. Mm-hmm to allow him to work on that, right? Like industry funds research. I mean, yeah, totally. Yeah. But <sighs> the other thing is that mathematics and academia, so mathematics in particular, offers us probably, the, it is the fundamental logical framework. You know, it is, it is a rich class of proven theorems. And I, I don't think, I mean, that, that may sound different from somebody who, who approaches this from an industry perspective. Like they hear the word theorem or they hear the word theory. And we have this very sort of informal usage of it in English. But in mathematics, a theorem is absolute. It is something that is derived from axioms. It follows a, a logical structure and there are no holes in it. Otherwise, it's just simply false and not a theorem. And so if you're able to apply these results to your to your when you sit down to program the programs that you write are similarly based on that kind of rigorous structure that kind of correct by construction structure and when you're correct by construction you're correct by definition so i would rather explore that side of programming and explore the expressive power that mathematics can bring to the world of of industry and see if we can't make the UX a lot more friendly. You know, of course, there's there's always going to be those people who say, well, why should I have to read 20 research papers to use your language? Fair, <laughs> fair very fair. But at the same time, there are clear benefits. And those benefits are, are just now, I think, finding their way into the public consciousness, especially with things like Haskell. Uh, but even with what people would consider more research-oriented languages like like Agda or Idris, you know, people are realizing the power of of strong type systems and expressive type systems, especially not just strong ones, expressive ones, and, and being able to write down what they mean and have the compiler reason through with you. That's the thing; is it's it's very interactive too. A reason with you through the problem. Interesting. Yeah, actually, it's a really good uh, point you bring up there because I feel like the Swift compiler does a really great job at teaching you Swift. So you come mm. in, you start learning Swift, you maybe don't know that much, you're maybe playing in a playground, 
and you make some kind of um, mistake or whatever, and the compiler is like, hey, like actually it should, you know, it, it maybe it gives you an error or a warning or it gives you a, um, a fix it. Right. And it's like, actually, you should put the override, you know, word here because you're actually you're a subclass and you're overriding. And it's like I when I was just starting out like that was so interesting to me, like, wow, it's like teaching me the language, like speaking back to me. And that's sort of what I'm thinking about. At least that's one manifestation of this really uh, you know, long, amazing thing that you just kind of been talking about. But like yeah. the compiler speaking and, back and to that's, that's interesting. That's a core philosophy of. Yeah, that's a that goes back to a core philosophy of LVM of writing compilers that have rich diagnostics, uh, being able to not just like that. That's one thing that I, I really regret about a lot of the the say, shall we say more academic languages is that when they when they say their parser balks like you type some invalid thing, it it you lose everything like you you lose you don't get rich diagnostics. You, it just stops and it says. Line column can't parse. <laughs> so yeah, so okay. it, that it's that gets really me wonderful. that gets me really in, like excited and interested to think that like that conversation can actually become more interactive. And it sounds like that's something you're really interested in, and that that is really exciting to think like hmm. yeah, that relationship between me, the developer, and the computer, and the um, and its sort of voice, the compiler like gets more interactive and more conversational. Like, wow, I'm actually getting kind of chills. Yes. Um, okay, <laughs> one thing then to sort of wrap up this, um, like bridging the gap between mathematics and, and, and computer programming, or, you know, let's say maybe even front end. Um, maybe you could give us like a little nugget to take home with us to kind of think about, like, for instance, my uh, coworker, Nathan, told me about this book he read, or he knows about at least called algorithms to live by. And he was like, one of the algorithms I love is like, when you use something, um, leave it on top. So like, if you have a file, a bunch of files on your desk, like the last file you use, just put it on top, don't file it somewhere. And I actually do that now with my Apple Watch bands, like I keep all my Apple Watch bands in the same little box that my Apple Watch um, came in. And when I take an Apple Watch band off, um, I, I put it, I get the one out that I want and I put the last one that I used on top. And then the, the chances are the next time I go to, you know, switch Apple Watch bands, I want to use the one that's on top. So anyways, uh, can you give us like a little a nugget, like not even practical, but just to think about like when we're programming or we're walking around, like, is there something that you kind of see in the world when you're like, you're always hmm. that bridge between mathematics and computer science or programming? You Like, it's so apparent. Like, we can kind of notice it as we're walking around. I think uh, my advice and my algorithm would be depth first tree traversal, because I think that is the way that you should read a paper, a white paper. And I think a lot of people are really afraid when they first start, you know, I, I was too. Uh, you, you get this big old chunk of really formal text and it's got a bunch of crazy symbols in it and, and, and a bunch of vocabulary you've never seen before and it's got some result you may not understand, but it's like maybe related to the problem that you're looking for. Look down in the references section. Down there you'll find 20, 50 linked papers that the author is cited during the course of their work because they too needed to research this at one point and pick one, pick a paper, start reading that. 
And then that one will have a reference section too. And it's sort of this recursive sort of walk down the tree of references until you reach a paper that you grok a little more. And then you walk one level up and then you grok a little more and you walk one level, et cetera. And, and, and so in this way, one paper, reading one paper can wind up turning into reading a hundred papers. But if that's what it takes, sometimes that's what it takes. And you come away with a much richer understanding of the problem and you don't have to be afraid of the paper anymore. So... Uh, for example, like reading the homotopy type theory book, uh, which I highly recommend to anybody who wants to uh, get started with this proof assistance and the upper mathematics stuff, but you know, that's not everybody. Um, it took me six months. It took me six months because I kept putting it down and coming back to it. And I would read other papers and I would write a little more agda to try and understand what was happening, but I never like tried to digest the whole thing at once. And it took a long time, and some people don't have that kind of time, and I completely understand that. But I would say, if you need to, you know, if you're if you're staring down the barrel of some academic result that that helps your problem, and you just have no idea what you're doing, check the references section, and uh, do a deep dive. What was this book you said, or this paper that took you six months? Uh, the Homotopy Type Theory book. You can find it on GitHub actually, because it's open source. Uh, but you can also find uh, PDF and EPUB editions if you just Google that, because it's a very I guess it's a famous text at this point. And what's Agda? Agda is a dependently typed programming language. Interesting. Okay, so for people who are more on the practical application side, I think like to translate that nugget in uh, in that sort of more uh, sort of vein would be like you have this problem that you're trying to solve, like you're trying to whatever, put a button on a screen, you don't know how to do it. You search for that problem on Google, obviously then you see some you know explanation but you don't really understand the explanation then you try to find maybe some source that this person you know shouts out and then you tree traversal as you said right you go from that link to the next link and try to just continue to find something that makes more sense to you then go back up the tree or down the tree whatever and see if you can understand like, the first explanation i think that makes sense Absolutely. And, and this, this, you're, you're right. This applies to documentation too. If there's something in the Swift standard library you don't understand and then reading the source does nothing for you, try Googling some of the terms. You know, A lot of our uh, abstractions there are based around common ones that appear in other languages that maybe you understand or maybe you can find better, uh, more, more clearly written documentation about. Okay, so I want to get to the Swift. Uh, I want to I talk about Swift specifically now. Uh, and But before we do, I just want to uh, make a couple announcements, sort of shout outs and stuff. Uh, so let me see, where am I? Okay, so a couple announcements. Uh, we, well, not we, I guess, but uh, yeah, I guess we, the Swift, you know, Swift coders community, learn Swift community, we helped uh, this guy, I think it's a guy, Andrea, the, uh, the profile picture. Look, well, anyways, Andrea Antononi. I don't know how to say his last name. Uh, hmm. He started Learn Swift Milan. It's pretty cool. Oh. He reached out and, you know, because I've been like telling people on the podcast, you know, like, hey, you know, hit me up if you want to start a start a meetup. So he started Learn Swift uh, Milan. Pretty cool. Uh, then this guy, um, this guy, Guillermo, I think Alvarez, he started Learn Swift San Diego. This was like just over the last like couple weeks. He started Learn Swift San Diego, so that's pretty cool. Uh, and I don't know if I ever mentioned it, 
Um, but a while ago, like after Learn Swift Tokyo 2017, this guy Daryl, I believe is his name, started Learn Swift Tokyo. He shouted us out, um, inspired by Try Swift and Learn Swift. Um, yeah, so Learn Swift Tokyo, that's pretty cool. And I started Learn Swift Yerevan. Uh, I'm, I'm Armenian. I was born here uh, in, yeah. in the States, but uh, I'm like my family's Armenian. And I'm going to Armenia this summer to teach Swift um, and uh, we'll, we'll spend one week on Swift and one week on um, iOS development. I'm teaching this uh, two-week workshop for this uh, organization called Tumo Center. So yeah, if you're in Armenia, uh, maybe we can uh, we can meet up. So I created Learn Swift Yerevan, and I'm hoping to do at least two, if not three, meetups while I'm there in Yerevan. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. La- lastly, uh, I just heard back from AltConf, and we're going to be doing a Swift Coders meet and greet at AltConf on Wednesday at lunch. The details aren't like fully confirmed. I just got like an email. Uh, and it sounds like that's sort of the details. Hopefully, I'll get more details later. But if you're going to be um, in the area, you know, near San Jose or in San Jose during Dub Dub, June 5th or something like that, um, we're doing a Swift Coders meet and greet at AltConf um, on Wednesday at lunch, where hopefully I'll have some guests of the podcast and a few meetup members and meetup leaders where we'll be socializing for about an hour or an hour and a half and uh, teaching uh, people how to start meetups in their own communities, uh, uh, start learn, you know, learn Swift style meetups in their own communities and uh, just being able to interact with uh, guests of the podcast as well. So, yeah, so those are the announcements. Um, pretty cool stuff, I'd say. Yeah, please Did- send me the details about that because I'm going to be at WWDC. And, yeah. Uh, Hope to see you or some of your viewers or, or sorry, listeners or uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, anybody else who, who really wants to uh, come find me. Yeah, we're definitely going to be hanging out. Faux show. I'm super excited. It's my first <laughs> dub dub. Um, yeah, super excited. You've been before? Yeah, I, I went last year and I, I hung out in the uh, developer's tools. Uh, sorry, the developer tools lab. Uh, if anybody wants to... Uh, uh, wander around in there. There's a bunch of uh, Swift team members that hang out there, and uh, you can come and we can talk about anything. Wow. Okay. I want to talk. Uh, I want to talk about that. Before we do, I want to just mention real quick, sort of like why I wanted to uh, have you on. You know, we spent like the last like 40 minutes talking about your life, and we got pretty technical with this like mathematics stuff. And uh, you know, I really I don't want um, you know that to like sort of scare people or anything like that, like scare people off. Cause mm-hmm. I think like that stuff can be really intimidating. Um, but I think, so, so I want to explain like why I wanted to have you on. I, um, we've never met in person. We've only talked, uh, over Twitter. And, uh, this is actually the first time I'm even hearing your voice and you're hearing mine. Well, actually, no, maybe mm-hmm. you've heard mine before. Um, mm-hmm. I heard about you through Ayaka, Ayaka Nonaka. I hope I'm saying her name right. Um, she gave a talk at Swift Summit 2016, her uh, contributing to Swift open source talk. And she mentioned you uh, as her mentor. She's like, find a mentor. My mentor is um, this guy Codify, I think is maybe how you say it. Um, um, uh-huh. And I was like, that's pretty cool. And so I think like when I set out to try to contribute to Swift, I just hit you up and you were, uh, you were, you know, super open to it. And over the course of a few, you know, months, 
um, I tried multiple times to contribute to Swift. Uh, you know, Swift open source, and we can you know get into the specifics on that. But uh, eventually, with a lot of your help, I actually feel like I don't know. I feel kind of like weird about it because like you helped you know you helped me a lot. Like so, I don't know. It's yeah. like that's why I was like, hey, can we can, can we like push this PR together like with both of our names on it or something? Anyway, so with with a lot of your help, I got a uh, PR merged in uh, to Swift. So that's pretty cool. Maybe when it gets released, like I'll actually get to see like this thing that I did. Um, so yeah, yeah, we rebranched before uh, we rebranched. Sorry, we rebranched after your pull request got merged. So you should see that ship with four Pretty cool stuff. <laughs> So yeah, like we talked a lot and you, you spent a lot, you gave me a lot of time and I want to talk about that. And so that's why I wanted to um, mm-hmm. have you on, I mean, for, for multiple reasons, but I feel like that's really important. The fact that there's someone like you uh, that is willing to give their time to people, to other people, uh, mm-hmm. to make themselves available. And um, that's one of the things I love about like the developer community in general, not necessarily Swift. And then specifically the Swift community, I think like something about programming, um, like I was just um, hanging out yesterday, like programming and in, in, uh, outside at like by a coffee shop. And someone was like, hey, are you a programmer? Like I do see. And I think like just something about the developer community is like super nice. You know, it's like super nice and stuff. So anyways, I wanted to have you on because because of that, like as uh, just and I want to learn more about you. Um, so, yeah. So thank you so much for stuff. It means a lot to me. Um, yeah, and and I think what's interesting is that in your life, uh, you've already had, and, and probably more, two really important mentors. You know, you mentioned Tobias and you mentioned Matthew. And so mm-hmm. maybe without thinking about it, or maybe you are thinking about it consciously, is like your way of giving back. And I think that's really important, like uh, mentoring and, and giving back and having mentors. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I know I just said a lot, so I'm just going to take a breath. <laughs> Uh, I, I think what you said is, uh, is is absolutely correct. Like, open source thrives on. At the end of the day, it, it takes people. It takes eyes and hands, and um, and it takes people uh, willing to contribute. And Swift, uh, at the time Ayaka sent an email, I, I believe she either emailed or pinged Michael Illisman on Twitter and said, "Hey, I would really like to contribute this feature that." Uh, I noticed was missing uh, from the compiler, and and she had an open bug reporter about it, and and uh, Michael uh, was was a bit busy at the time, and so he came to me, and he said, would you be willing to uh, help her through the process? And and uh, I said yeah, absolutely, because up to that point, um, the documentation around getting Swift set up is rather bare, um, right. And it could always use improvement. So uh, anybody that uh, that that's that's a, a task for for anybody who uh, who uh, doesn't fancy themselves writing C would be uh, if you want to just get set up with me and then and then rewrite that that part of the documentation. That that's absolutely a valuable contribution, a very Wait, valuable so contribution. Swift.org, the actual website is open source too, and you can create a pull request for that. Uh, I mean the documentation associated with the compiler, uh, when like the the README and the oh on the, GitHub the docs the folder, 
Yeah. Okay. The, the GitHub stuff on there. Uh, and at the time, like I, I, I set it up following those instructions and then I got a lot of people who shaped my workflow internally. Um, and given that the majority of people using Swift will not have such an opportunity, I feel like it's only fair that uh, the wider world know more efficient ways to navigate and develop the language. And, and in the process, you really start to realize that, oh, this, you know, it, it doesn't take six hours to build Swift. You know, it takes 30, maybe 15, 15 minutes, hopefully five minutes if you're doing a rebuild uh, to, to, to build Swift, to iterate. And so it, it, there's not a lot of cost there, you know, and there's, um, there's not a lot of mental overhead, I guess, that, that, that's really necessary to, to start contributing. Okay, and, I want to talk. The more people we can get into this, the better. Yeah, and I want to talk about this. Let's let's stop for a second though and explain what we what we mean. Um, so, and there's a really good talk by Jesse Squires. I'm kind of only understanding the value of that talk now, where he explains like every like all the different parts of open source Swift, and therefore mm -hmm. like all the different things that you can participate in. So con the, the concept of contributing to open source Swift is sort of a huge umbrella. And there are many different ways to mm -hmm. participate. You can actually like pull, uh, create pull requests for all the different projects. The compiler is one of them, mm -hmm. right? So that's like maybe what we think like more traditionally, like the kind of obvious thing, like contributing to open source. But like you can just follow along on the mailing list and give your opinion. You can create proposals. You can be a mentor. You can update the documentation, like you just said. Um, I don't know, right? There's, what, I'm sure I'm missing things. Um, so it's like this big umbrella. Um, the The way that I helped or participated in um, is that more traditional, like kind of stereo, like the I don't know, the obvious one, like contributing to the language and like actually adding some code in there. And the the one that I um, participated in was the compiler. So you know, you're typing some Swift code and you make an error in the, in the Swift compiler says something back to you. And I think that's like, I noticed that I, I might find bugs or I, I might think like that I would want to contribute to Swift in that way because that's the most direct way that I'm sort of interacting with Swift. So what mm -hmm. the, the thing that the PR that we got merged in was um, there is like when you use the at escaping attribute with an optional closure, it's not needed, but the the compiler error, the thing that it speaks back to you, um, was a little I thought could be better. Like it just said um, something like uh, expects function type or something like that, and I found out that yeah. it actually meant that um, optional um, closures are escaping by default, and so you don't need the at escaping attribute. And I was like, okay, well we should add that. And so Robert and I t uh, worked together to add that to the compiler. It's really interesting. So, mm -hmm. okay, so that's that's one way of contributing to Swift open source, and that's sort of like the blanket uh, umbrella idea of contributing to Swift open source. So now let's talk about why, I would say. Or, or feel free to, to respond however you want, but I think also let's talk about why. Like why should we care and, and uh, uh, why should we try to recruit people to participate? So there's my thinking and then there's sort of a broader philosophy. And... My thinking, in addition to the broader philosophy, is that this is a very, very unique opportunity that the world is being given because Apple, before this, 
their definition of open source was you can see the code, but you can't contribute to the code. And with Swift, we're afforded an opportunity not just to uh, see and understand, you know, the ins and outs of a very, what can be, it's a, it's a complex project with a lot of moving pieces. A and you really get to see the philosophy behind, you know, how does a big company like Apple go about developing this kind of software and, and this kind of project? And if you sort of dig into that, you also get into like, well, I have to use this on a daily basis to make my living or, or I have to interact with this significantly in my life or my development career. I have a vested interest in making sure that this thing thrives and that it is rich and, and, and it presents as valuable user experience to me and to everybody else as I can possibly make it. And open source affords us the opportunity to, you know, do, do exactly like you, you did there, where, where you noticed that some part of our diagnostics um, just wasn't clear. And, and you can go in and you can, you can rework them. You know, our, our diagnostics architecture is probably, I would say, one of the best things to get started with if you want to contribute to the Swift compiler because everybody has their own little issue with uh, the, uh, the diagnostics aren't, aren't clear here or maybe they need more or maybe less or, you know, everybody's got their own feeling about, about how much they want to be warned by the compiler about their mistakes. And so we've made it, I think, particularly easy to contribute um, to that part of the compiler. And I, I don't just want to make that assertion. I want to actually back that up by saying, if you want to contribute something to the diagnostic side of, of the Swift compiler, I will absolutely walk you through that kind of thing. Um, but what we also try to emphasize uh, in the organization is really uh, to get people in is uh, if you go to the, the JIRA, which is bugs.swift.org, uh, we have a tag called starter bug. And if you search for that tag and you search for the ones that haven't been resolved, obviously, um, you will find a list of bugs that we consider good for anybody who wants to get started with the project. Uh, bugs that we will eventually, of course, we will eventually get around to fixing, but that we would <laughs> like the community to have uh, some, some input on, uh, uh, especially because we feel like it can get them the ball rolling. Uh, and, and that's the, the first step there. Yeah, so the starter tasks that or the starter bugs that definitely got the ball rolling for me. Um, mm -hmm. We, I remember the first time I set out was like, okay, I'm just gonna find one. But then it was like, I don't really know what this is talking about. Like, I don't really understand how yeah. I would even begin to fix it. And you know, it's all like C plus plus and stuff. But then I ended up, um, you know, I ended up finding something. It, I don't know if you call it a bug, but like it was just an enhancement. Um, and then we created the, the Jira task. Like I just posted it on Twitter. I was like, Hey, is this like, mm -hmm. what are your guys' thoughts on this? And, um, I think I tagged you maybe, maybe I tagged Michael. How do you say his last name? Ilsman? Michael Ilsman. Yes. Ilsman. Yeah. And he was like, uh, yeah, you should, uh, you should, um, create a Jira or create an SR for it and fix it. And Greg Heo was like, if you don't, I will. And I was like, oh man. So I went in there and I created, <laughs> I created the starter task and I claimed it. And, um, so yeah, I would say that those starter tasks definitely make the bar for getting started lower because it's like just by, by definition, by name, it's like, oh, I'm a starter. So I'm like, I feel comfortable to like try. Um, but for me, it was still daunting. Like, okay, I see I read the words that this person who created this starter task like wrote, but I don't understand what it means or how to get started. Uh, yeah. 
so the alternative to to looking for starter tasks is creating your own. If you look around and you're like, oh, this is maybe I don't know what what's happening here. That's fine. I feel like that a lot <laughs> with the with all the bugs uh, going on uh, in in bugs.swift.org and and uh, that I guess it just goes back to the whole like you probably have or or if you've interacted with Swift in, in some capacity, you probably know some part of the diagnostics infrastructure that you know it maybe could be beefed up a little bit. Just shoot us a bug, you know. Uh, Jordan Rose is very good about uh, sifting through everything that gets posted and trying to respond at least once to any any bugs that get posted. So there's zero pressure. Uh, if if you don't know terminology, it's fine. We'll, we'll fix everything. We'll we'll help you get it set up. Uh, and and we'll maybe if if the bug you submit happens to be a starter bug, we'll we'll tag it and we'll we'll have a discussion about how maybe you can fix it. That's a good point. I mean, even. Um paying attention and noticing something that might be a bug and then asking about it and creating an SR if it, you know, if you think it is a bug or, or if someone on Twitter, for instance, says, yeah, you should create one that's contributing, right? You're right. Like even just mm -hmm. reporting is yeah, contributing. You, you don't even, yeah, just reporting it is, is doing a service to us because it's another, it's, it's, it's uh, an issue that now that we can point to and say, we know, we, we maybe know how to fix it too. Uh, it, it's good for everybody when people do that. And, and so this isn't, I, I want to emphasize that this is maybe a different experience than people have had with something like radar. The right. entire process is transparent. Uh, you get, uh, Jira is religious about emailing you for every step of the way for good or bad about what happens to that bug. Uh, so if you can file, uh, ra uh, radars and then link them to Jira tickets, all the better. Really? Yeah. Uh, we actually have a field in Jira for for putting a radar URL if you if you need to do that. Yeah, I saw that. Why um, why is it better if we do that? Um, uh, radar has a bit of a reputation. Um, yeah, right. And I've seen it a lot around Twitter. I mean, I, I haven't really experienced this too much, but I, I know certain people can feel that it's a bit of a, a black box. And I, I just want to say, like the the contribution process uh, for Bucks of the is is much more open it's much right more, right yeah uh, yeah okay cool so i want to uh, just be clear about something like you said diagnostics and i was i was sort of saying like you know when the compiler says something to you so that's sort of what we mean by diagnostics um it's like uh the i guess the type checker is like i don't know maybe it's like constantly running or it's running you know every whatever seconds and if you let's say you have a function that's like expecting a string, but you put an int in there, the compiler will be like, hey, like this function's expecting a string, but you put an int. That is a diagnostic, correct? Yes. Uh, any The red, yellow, and blue that you'll see in the, uh, if I think it's a little uh, uh, yield sign is the logo yeah. for it in the uh, inspector. Uh, yeah. If you click on that yield sign on the uh, left pane, you'll get taken to all of the warnings and errors and and and, and static analysis uh, notes uh, that we'll leave. Uh, that's the diagnostic is the broad word that covers all of those. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, and so that's what... Uh, that's what I, I want to emphasize... Like, you can find all of this jargon in a thing that we call the lexicon. If you look uh, into the repository for lexicon.rst, okay, um, you'll find a, a, it doesn't render properly, so you may have to view it raw. But you'll find a glossary of of some of the more uh, compiler e terms that get thrown oh. around a lot. 
Okay. Is that like the grammar thing? Like if you read the Swift reference book, um, like at the end, there's like this grammar thing. Or if someone like creates a proposal, often at the end, they'll like do like this sort of grammar looking thing. Like they'll write whatever the word is in with like an mm. arrow. And uh, that grammar you know describes about? the language itself. Yeah. Uh, yeah that, what that's is that? different from the, the, the grammar of the language describes uh, the, the uh, way that you need to parse a jumble of text and, uh, and let that jumble of text to be called Swift source. Because I mean, there's there's a, a joke that I'm particularly fond of of like somebody tried to run a, an SSL certificate through the Perl compiler and it took it quite a while to figure out it wasn't Perl. Um, okay, I'm sure that's Perl's, funny, but I don't know why. Well, it's because Perl's grammar is famously very malleable and, and it's programmable. Actually, uh, it, it's loose, uh, oh, and so you can run jumbles of text through that kind of compiler and. And Swift uh, has a very uh, set grammar, uh, except for operators. I think we're we, we don't allow you to extend the parser. Um, so we um, the grammar is written in a very structured style. Uh, you'll notice, uh, and that style matches the way that we've written the parser, and for good reason because it has to. Interesting. Very very interesting. <laughs> I like how you <laughs> say we. It's really cool. Um, like it's a little confusing for me, but I, I also get it. But it's also really interesting, like uh, that you say we. Like so, I emphasize the pronouns, I guess, um, the the collective pronoun, uh, because I, I, especially in open source work, because I don't consider any one thing that I do uh, to be like just solely my my work. You know, uh, people are always reviewing things and and commenting on things and opening issues and things, and so I feel like it's more inclusive, I guess, to divorce yeah. oneself from uh from personal responsibility for a for a collective effort but it doesn't it's not describing like that you are a part of swift in some official capacity it's is it more no like don't take this to mean apple it's not a it's not an appleism like yeah you're saying a, more like we in the we sense the of community like he, and you feel a sense of ownership like you you i mean you are a big part of the community but you also feel like really connected to the community and so that's how is that is sort of that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. I, I try to do that for all of my for all of my projects, even the ones that I start uh, that anybody else contributes to, because uh, it, it is a collective effort. Like uh, TypeLift, for instance. TypeLift, yes. Yeah, yeah. Nice little. We, let's talk about. I mean, I want I want to spend more time talking about Swift open source. But like maybe maybe we could talk about that too. Like, what is TypeLift? Yeah, we'll have a, br a brief diversion, I guess. Uh, TypeLift <laughs> was started uh, was started by Maxwell Swadling, who is now working on uh, Swift uh, playgrounds. Actually, uh, he he was one. Of he the, works at the Apple. People that got that up and running. Oh wow! Yeah. And, oh wow, uh, that's cool. He uh, so for my senior year uh, of high school, I told my parents I wanted to go to LambdaConf. And Max noticed, I think it put it on Twitter or something, and he noticed, and, and he's like, hey, I'm going too. We should we should meet and, and discuss. And, and at the time, you know, I had no plans other than going to college. Um, and and so I went, and we had a fantastic time at, at LambdaConf. And um, and afterwards, uh, because I've been contributing to, to pre-type lift version of, of the repository that we have now in type lift, he's like... Um, 
you know, it would be it would be really cool. You know, I, I want to try to take all the people who've been contributing and and throw their throw their resumes around and and see what I can do. Uh, see if I can give you a little little boost in, in Apple, and that, I'm sure that that helped uh, quite a bit. Um, but also, what happened was once he left for Apple, he had to drop open source. Um, oh and wow! And he sent an email yeah. to his. Yeah, he sent an email to his top maintainers and he said, would anybody be interested in taking over? Uh, it was Swift Zed at the time. Uh, and and me and Alexander Altman responded and said, absolutely. And so we took over the project and we built TypeLift. And at the time, Swift Zed was a lot of things in the same repository. And a lot of those things were not fleshed out. And so Alex and I took a look at this and we said, you know what? Screw it. We're going to completely overhaul the thing, especially now that we, we had an opportunity because it was about Swift 2.0, I guess, uh, when we did this. Uh, so we, we redid the whole thing. We broke it down into all of its component packages and we completely, we just fleshed every single idea out. So uh, we have uh, 14 repositories, 12 if you don't count the forks, uh, repositories open and those all came from SwiftZ, like except for Valence, which was my personal project. What do you mean by um, Swift C? Oh, Swift Z? Swift Z, yeah. Swift Z. Oh, okay, Sorry, the, I'm not Okay, they all came Canadian. from Swift. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so the concurrent framework was the obviously the concurrency side of things. Uh, the Tyro was a JSON parser and we're deprecating that. Uh, Aquifer oh. was a streaming abstractions library. Things like that. Okay, yeah. I'm looking at the repository right now. So type lift, libraries to simplify Simplify development of Swift programs by utilizing the type system. Okay, so to be very, uh, very simple and plain, it's just like almost like any other uh, library that you might like install with CocoaPods or something, right? It's a library of code that's going to help you with your application, whatever you're, you're building, correct? From like mm -hmm. a very basic, okay. Now what it specifically does, it's a collection of libraries. It has, as you said, 12. Each of them have their own little focus. Right. Um, but they mm -hmm. all they all are doing their thing, whatever their particular thing is. So like focus optics for Swift. Is that like something like lenses, maybe I'm assuming or Swift Z yep. functional programming Swift aquifer, as you said, mm -hmm. functional streaming. So they all do their specific thing, but they do it by utilizing the type system. Yes, I think Aquifer is probably the most salient example and probably still, to me, one of the most terrifying examples of this. Um, Aquifer, like most people have maybe seen or used Reactive Cocoa or maybe Reactive Swift or something like that. And, and they, they're streaming abstractions, uh, which means streams and signals and stuff. They, they, they present maybe like a simpler type safe interface. Like they'll maybe have like signal of A and then you can like know that the values coming down the stream are, are all have type A, you know, something like that. Um, Aquifer abstracts from that idea and then keeps abstracting and then doesn't stop. Um, Aquifer is three different streaming abstraction libraries in one interface, and it is parameterized by five different type variables. And depending on how you instantiate those types, you can pick from one of three different kinds of streaming abstraction and you cannot ever build an aquifer pipeline that is one uh, poorly typed and two uh, incapable of uh, handling any values passed through it 
So it's impossible to construct a pipeline with aquifer that uh, that will ever like uh, crash at some point, unless you insert fatal error into the stream, but whatever. It, and you must be able to handle all the values coming down the stream without deadlocking. And we enforce so, this through the type system. Okay, so I'm, I'm seeing, like, you you mentioned the different types. So producer, consumer, pipe. Uh, uh, there's six, I don't know, maybe, or maybe I'm misunderstanding. Producer, consumer, pipes, client, server, effect. Those are the six. Mm -hmm. Or actually, no, effects is a computation. So five types, producer, consumer, pipe, client, server. And then they can respond to three different things. Yield, await, request. Well, then there's also respond or no, yeah, or and response. Is that what you meant so by the, the fascinating part about this? Is yeah, the fascinating part about this is that it's all the same type. Each producer, consumer, effect, pipe, whatever. Those are all type aliases on top of the same type. Okay, what's that the just type? Stick type parameters in different places. We call it proxy. We need a better name for that. Okay, uh, and it is incredibly abstract. Um, Okay. But what okay, we've and, tried sorry. to do... Hmm? No, no, sorry. Go ahead. I'm just getting a little excited, but go ahead. Go, oh, yeah. Ahead, We're spinning off into the weeds a bit, but like what the, the what what we... Uh, this, this I want to emphasize this idea isn't original. This is based on Gabriel Gonzalez's Pipes Library, and we bring that oh. up in the readme. Uh, and there is a cool. tutorial playground if, if anybody wants to get started um, and, and poke around. I mean, it's certainly not a thing that I would expect anybody to use for practical application development. But if you wanted to get a look at like what it means to program from a category theoretic perspective, uh, there's actually three different categories hidden inside of this one type, depending on how you instantiate it a particular way And our test suite. Uh, goes over a couple of those. Um, Wait, but and, why why wouldn't yeah. you use this from a practical standpoint? I mean, people are really into this whole functional reactive programming thing. Like, like why is it be because you didn't intend for it to be like in production or in the library is complete and it works, but the library is also tremendously inefficient because we didn't optimize its representation for uh, speed. We optimized it for correctness. Inter oh, interesting. Correctness doesn't always lead to speed or efficiency. That's interesting. Because pipes in Haskell, um, to, to not put too fine a point on it, but pipes in Haskell, if you actually write the same pipeline in Haskell and Swift, the Haskell pipeline will completely blow away at compile time, and you will get this really efficient streaming abstraction. Um, in Swift, you pay every single step. You pay for everything. Interesting. Uh, and we don't know a way of making it blow away in that same way because the library is using equational reasoning for everything and Haskell is just top-notch at rewriting e equations. Uh, Swift doesn't, can't make that same assumption. Okay, and then you said it's impossible to create a pipe that um, sort of, uh, like you wouldn't be able to allow the, the water to flow through. And Are you saying because like, when you create, let's say, an upstream, and then you create a downstream, I guess maybe, and you, you, or an input and an output, and you connect them, like the you, this library would say, nope, sorry, you can't connect those two. Like they're that type safe. Is so that the what way you're the, the way that we say sorry, you can't connect this is through uh, type errors, and the way that we say sorry, you haven't handled everything is through uh, Swift. 
saying I can't infer this particular type in this particular position. Okay. And okay. wherever like the error ambiguous. points is the yeah, it's ambiguous because you haven't instantiated a particular type variable. In the end, the effect uh, type is the type of a proxy that has handled all of its inputs and outputs. So okay. it's impossible to, you can only execute that, that kind of proxy. We don't let you execute anything else, and the type system won't even let you create those things. Okay, so I think I have a better understanding. Uh, this looks really cool. I want to, it seems like it'd be fun to kind of play with. I don't know, like just kind of play with and, and see. Uh, I don't know. It's like I've heard of like lenses. I heard of this kind of this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, oh, but I'm I'm understanding the general idea of what this type lift is. Uh, it's these it's these separate libraries under one organization under one sort of uh, or separate repositories under this one sort of blanket uh, repository organization. And um, just as you say now, I get it now. Libraries to simplify development of Swift programs by utilizing the type system. The type system part is obviously really important. And you use this mm. word type lift, which you actually hear um, people uh, talk about it just in everyday programming. When you say, like, let's say you have a function that takes a string, right? And like um, you have a person that has a name and that name is a string. And you pass, you get the name out of the person and you pass the name to the function. Well, what someone might say is instead of passing the name, the string to that function, pass the person to that function and then inside of the function, maybe get the name. And so in some ways, that's like you're kind of lifting that string, that name into a type, mm -hmm. the person. And that's sort of the a very simplified way to, to explain this kind of concept of a type lift. You're you're going from these like primitives. But it's also like it's also a string. pun, like you mentioned, uh, because Swift, the Swift bird, uh, it flies and it lifts and yeah, it's a, it's a, it was a bad <laughs> pun at the time when we, when we, when we came up with it, but we, we knew we wanted a pun and we knew it, it had to be related to, um, to, I mean, you can also say it's a pun about Lambda lifting, but you know, it's not like we do too much of that. Um, okay. But yeah. Uh, we, we want to, we want to, I want to emphasize too that aquifer is probably the only academic thing here. Everything else is actually optimized, uh, and, and very, very usable, uh, for, oh everyday kinds of programming. Uh, yeah, Aquifer was just a very extreme example of, of what we can do with the type system. But okay, everything so else what, is based around that philosophy. Which would be a good one to check out, like kind of easy to get up and running, like uh, to, to try this out, like Focus or which one? Uh, if you're interested in lenses, sure, pick up Focus. Uh, Swift is about to change that with keypads and we're going to have to rewrite that library. Okay. Uh, Swift Check I would say it, uh, it's my baby, so I have to I have to plug it. Um, okay, what's that one? Swift Check is a testing framework, and I think uh, there TJ uh, Usian uh, does a fantastic talk about it. Uh, if you want to get a, a brief introduction to how you use it, also we do have a tutorial playground that comes along with that. Um, and okay, so uh, I'm also proud of the concurrent library to for uh, we present a very different approach to concurrency abstractions than people may be used to from lib dispatch but so when we say concurrency abstractions when we say concurrency we're talking about like for instance like dispatch queue.main.async like grand central dispatch exactly kind of or, or locks and semaphores and 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 communication between threads it's all handled in there it's all different kinds of data structures and i recently got a, a software transactional memory uh, working in Swift, um, 
and that's in that library too. So if you want to take a look at, at how that works, it's kind of gross on the inside, but it's uh, it's pretty interesting to look at. Okay, and then it looks like most of these have a playground, so you can kind of just download the playground, open it up, and start playing with it. Or there's like a tutorial actually. Yeah, that's the flip check. side of our. Yeah, the the flip side of our philosophy is yeah we like academics, but we also really like uh, because Swift affords us this opportunity to teach people. We really like clear documentation and tutorials wherever we can find them uh, to introduce people okay. to the concepts of the frameworks. Super cool stuff. I'm gonna see if I can. I mean, there's so much. There's so much to do. Like so many different things you could do. <laughs> um, I always, you know, I always recommend just like you have a, a problem you're trying to solve, you have a goal, you know, focus on what you need to, you know, learn to achieve that goal. Lately, for me, it's like been a combination of like, you know, I might have one app I want to work on, but then I have like these other things that I'm just really interested in and learning how to do. And like, there's just so much to learn. Uh, it, it's crazy. That was actually one of the hardest parts when I was just starting out was like trying to focus on what was important and what was secondary, what was something I can learn later. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, so where we're at, like nearing, I mean, we're kind of over, over time, but I, I don't know, I just really want to talk if you have some extra time, a little bit more going back to <clears throat> recruiting people to Swift open source um, community and to become participants. I think like, maybe we mm -hmm. can reiterate on like, why? Like, I'm a, you know, I'm a Swift developer, I want to make an iOS app. Like, awesome, you should definitely do that. Um, but like, when you know, when is a, like, why is a, like, why should I contribute to Swift and like, when might be a good time? What are your thoughts on that? So two questions. Why should I contribute to Swift? You should contribute to Swift, I guess, going back to the idea, at least this is, this is sort of uh, an incentive that I think about is it's one thing to report an issue to Apple. It's another thing to be able to put your hands on that issue and see why it's occurring. And it's an entirely separate thing to be able to fix that issue and have the satisfaction of knowing that nobody else is going to run into it ever again. And I think open source, especially Apple's open source, affords you the opportunity to not just turn to your coworker and say, oh, it's not building because the compiler's doing something dumb, and actually be able to make it not do something dumb. You know, that, that, that's a very unique opportunity. And, and one that isn't just this, you know, sitting up in this ivory tower where only Apple people can handle it or only those who have taken advanced compiler courses can handle it. You know, like, it, it's nothing like that. Everybody can get started any way that they want. You don't have to know C++. You don't have to know Objective-C. don't have to know Swift even, if you can believe it. You know, <laughs> it, we have things for everybody to do, for everybody to get started, even if that means that all you do is just, con you know, file bug reports, or maybe all you do is contribute to the, to the Swift community. You know, I, I don't want to downplay these kinds of things because they're equally as important as submitting C++, tracts of C++ to the compiler. They're equally as important. And so okay. any way that we can get people into the community is good for my, my eyes. Yeah, totally. I think there's a couple uh, things in there. And it's then, interesting. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, the second question that you asked, though, was... Uh, uh, when? When's a good time? When is a good time? Any time that you feel like you have some downtime or that you've run into an issue, um, reach out to us. I know a lot of the Swift developers are particularly active on Twitter, uh, and they'll help you uh, with a lot of things, and a lot of their answers invariably turn out to be, please file a bug report. Um, 
but if you ever, you know, want to take that next step, then uh, I would invite anybody who wants to, to uh, my, my direct messages are open, uh, and I'm willing to help anybody who's willing to take the time to, uh, to get started with the project. Yeah. And you I know, am as well. To see what you know, uh, I might end up at, just end up asking like Robert questions anyways. Like if you approach me and like on Twitter, like, Hey, I want to get started with Swift open source. Like I'm too, like, I'll totally help you. Uh, Robert taught me so many yeah. like, uh, little tips and tricks on like just getting your, uh, like, let's say you want to contribute to the Swift compiler, like just getting the project, you know, downloaded, uh, you know, cloning it. And then what is it like? you have to like update all the build scripts and then building the project and like, wait, do I build an Xcode project or do I build a Ninja project? And do I do it with like debug on or not debug? It's like all this stuff. And, and then like opening the project and all these like little things like, oh, you know, create auto scheme, like all those little things that you've learned and like you shared it with me. I wrote as much as I could down so I don't have to like continue asking the same question over and over again. So I have all that knowledge mm -hmm. too even just for like setting up the project. So definitely reach out to me if, uh, you know, if you, mm -hmm. if you, you know, not, I'm not, I'm speaking to the listener. I know you don't need help from me, Robert. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so, okay. So <clears throat> I think like, it's interesting. Like, I wonder if like, first off, Swift Open Source is like really new, right? It's only been it's coming on its second year. It was open sourced in 2015, right? Late 2015. Mm -hmm. So like, I think like we're still just growing and over time, hopefully there'll be more contributors. But I wonder if there could ever be a point where like we have like too many contributors, like it's moving too fast or mm. something like that. Is that a possibility? I have, I don't know of a single project that has too many contributors. I mean, even something as huge as the Linux kernel is still actively looking for maintainers. Wow. Uh, we have a very small community, I would say, relative to the size of other projects that are taking on something like a programming language. And I want to see that community get as big as possible. So like, if, if that means that we're receiving a thousand pull requests in a year, well, actually, that's pretty low. 5,000 pull requests in a year? It means we're getting 5,000 pull requests in a year. That's a good thing. It means more people are, are putting their hands on things and actually, actually figuring things out and, and learning. And that's important. So I think one thing that we could do is continue to improve sort of like the getting started guide. Um, like when I go to Swift.org and I read about like, okay, I'm here at Swift.org and like I want to participate. It doesn't really speak to me. It, it kind of feels like it speaks to somebody that sort of already knows what they're doing. So whether that's yeah. like, whether that's like updating Swift.org or just creating more resources like Ayaka's talk or Russ Bishop's talk um, or Jesse Squire's talk, or maybe one day I'll, I'll write something. I'm definitely going to teach it at my meetup. I feel like <clears throat> there just needs to be like better kind of getting started and getting up and running and like the what and the why and the how, you know, just to like make it a little more friendly. Yeah. But obviously maybe it's not like a super huge priority, uh, but eventually I feel like that will need to happen. And I, I, maybe I'll help with that. That is a starter bug. That is absolutely a starter bug. If somebody wants to take a look at, at the, like the README especially is very Spartan about getting started with things. Um, the, hmm, maybe we, I'll do we that. definitely need documentation for this. Yeah. Any, anything that you can help with. I mean, we should have some level of getting started guide, but you're absolutely right that, that a lot of the documentation is written from the standpoint of one engineer to another engineer. It's not so necessarily I'll... written for, yeah. 
I will also say this, like a, a reason of a why. Um, for me, it makes my relationship with the language more fun and interesting um, because now when I'm coding, I have like an, another sort of thing to keep keep it interesting. Like, oh, compiler, like, you know, you, you're doing a good job here, but you can do better here, for, for instance. And so like, for instance, Daniel Ainoa, my um, coworker, he and I like have a uh, find bugs, like Swift bugs Fridays. It, it's sort of a joke, but like the last couple Fridays, we found things that we thought were maybe bugs. And uh, the one that um, we fixed, you and I fixed together, like that was actually found on a Friday. And so like, we'll just mm-hmm. open up a playground and we have some like abstract thing that we were thinking about and we'll start like messing around with it. And then we'll notice like, we'll notice some issue maybe. So, so anyways, I think like one of the benefits is that like it kind of makes the, your relationship with the language more fun um, and more interesting. Mm-hmm. And then it also um, obviously like learning, like the fact that I, I, don't know, I never wrote C++ before. I didn't know how the type checker works and that how you throw a diagnostic. Like I didn't know any of that stuff. Super cool. But then also one of the major benefits is like, look at like you and I are chatting now. You know, like I didn't know you really before. And um, I, Michael Ilsman, like we chat a lot on Twitter because of that. And so just like being connected with the community more um, is like a huge benefit. Like, I don't know, it's just... Yeah. And so and that's that's like really important, especially for people that are out there that are wanting to, you know, make a career change or something like that. Like um, being a member of the community and like um, networking, obviously, like that's really important. So um, I think that's Mm -hmm. also a benefit. Yeah. And and I would uh, I would really like to to say like uh, compilers in general are a very active um part of, of CS research and they can seem a little scary, you know, like, or, or projects related to compilers. But, um, well, one of my favorite, uh, memories of, of the internship last year was I was, I was bringing this up to Doug because I was very much in the same position of like staring down the barrel of a huge project for a multinational corporation that's open source. And, and like, this is huge and I have to grok parts of this in order to be able to fix parts of this. And it's my job now. It's not just like some thing that I do on the weekends and, and, and Doug just sort of allayed all of that by saying compilers are freaking easy. <laughs> and that can be many things to many different people. But I, I would like, I, at this point I, I've gotten to the point where, yeah, compilers are freaking easy. There's like three hard problems in compiler development and those make up the bulk of the code that, that winds up in Swift. But if you want to like go out and, and build your own, like you, you don't have to, you, you don't have to make Swift again, like Swift is Swift and Rust and Haskell are projects that are, have huge histories of engineers that have been, working on these kinds of problems for long amounts of time and been entrenched in these issues. You know, if your compiler is as simple as it just translates my language to Python, that's a compiler. Oh, that's interesting. That's, that's, that's a compiler and that, that's something to know about. And so, uh, the, the second plug, I guess the last one would be for the Trill organization, the Trill dash Lang organization on GitHub, which was started by my office mate, Harlan Haskins. Um, and he, uh, has wrapped, LVM, the compiler infrastructure that's powering the Swift compiler, uh, in a Swift library called LVM Swift. Um, and he's built a programming language called Trill on top of that infrastructure. 
and uh, I've been helping him uh, work through the bindings and, and get things set up. And uh, if you want to take a look around, especially the history of the Trill Language Project, uh, to really get a sense for how to use these tools to get started with them on your own, that's a fantastic resource. Um, yeah, I wanted to bring... It's all in Swift, too. You don't have to deal with C++ anymore. It's nice. I wanted to bring a Trill up because uh, that's kind of related to something that we heard about um, during the Chris Latner interview. He talked about Kaleidoscope. And Trill in yes. the Harlan Haskell, that kind of started with with a Kaleidoscope, right? Something like that. He like started playing around with Kaleidoscope and then building his own language after that. Is that is that what happened or how did that work out? Yeah, so Chris brought up that he he wrote the Kaleidoscope tutorial as an introduction to LVM. And oh, wow. we have rewritten that tutorial in Swift. Uh, and you can find it under the Trill Lang repository. Uh, Harlan did a fantastic series of blog posts too that tie in with this Kaleidoscope project. And it shows you um, high-level architecture for how to make a, a compiler for the Kaleidoscope language entirely in Swift. So uh, we, I, I want to also emphasize that we LVM is, uh, can at times be itself a black box because things may not be documented in the right way. And LVM, Swift, our, our wrapper, and especially Trill and Kaleidoscope, go to great, great pains to write clear documentation for each one of the primitives that we're using and have it right there in your face. I think we have 100% documentation coverage on, on LVM Swift, and we're very proud of that. So Okay, so Kaleidoscope is how to, is like explaining the LLVM compiler, and it teaches you how to make your own compiler in what language? In C++ or something? LVM is written in C++. Our, it has bindings for C, so we've taken those bindings and imported them and written our completely different wrapper in Swift. So it's not just right. like you're using the LVM C API. It's actually Swift. Right, you know? and so so then now Trill and the Trill, what do you call it? Is it just the Trill tutorial that you're mentioning? That's, the Trill, Trill language? Yeah. yeah, and so so you're sort of doing what the kaleidoscope thing does but you're doing it all in swift and so you're te you're teaching the, the the you know the reader or whatever how to create their own compiler and you're writing the compiler in swift mm -hmm. am i am i understanding that correctly absolutely oh yeah, yeah that, that, that was the goal that's pretty cool awesome because like mm -hmm. when when I learned about like there, you, there's this tutorial, you could like learn how to make a compiler. I'm like, yeah, but I don't really know like C++ and stuff like that. So the fact that like there's a tutorial yeah. out there. Sorry, you can ahead. write a compiler in any language. Yeah, that's you really can, cool. You can write a compiler in, in assembly. That's what the, the way we got started. We wrote compilers in assembly. Um, you can write compilers in, in BrainFuck and, and, and Swift and, and Agda and whatever, you know. In Brain what? Um, I don't know. Did you say br brain perhaps funked? Thing, perhaps, funked? Perhaps the thing to cut out. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. Okay, okay. I thought it was like the word uh, function, like shortened. That's what it was. Oh, it was no. The, it was the uh, word uh, shortened, function. Um, uh, no, it, it, it brain fuck has nothing to do with the mathematics. It's uh, uh, okay. pretty... Oh, <laughs> I don't know what that is. It's a, it's an esoteric programming language that... Oh, I, I'll actually, I'll send you this gist in the, in the chat. I... Uh, it's it's a minimal programming language uh, okay. that uses plus minus uh, brackets and uh, period and it's it's very minimal. You can look at the Wikipedia page for examples of things, but it turns out that that character set also maps onto Swift's uh, operator character set. So I wrote a uh, a DSL uh, 
that lets you use Swift's operators to write brain fuck. Where is that? <laughs> Dude, where do you find the time? Oh, that brings up a funny, I mean, it's not like a story, but it's just a funny moment. Like, um, mm -hmm. so it's, uh, you know, Saturday or Sunday morning, a couple weeks ago. And, um, you know, I'm trying to like contribute to Swift and I'm chatting with you on Twitter and Lucy comes in and she's like, wait, so I don't understand. He's just like s over there, wherever he is. And he's just like helping you contribute to Swift. I'm like, yeah, I guess. Like, I don't know. Like he must have like time or something. Like, where do you find the time for any of this stuff, man? It seems like you're doing a lot of things. Uh, a lot of it is, um, that XKCD comic about, uh, the programmers like sword fighting each other on their desk chairs because they're, they're the code is compiling. It's very uh -huh. true. Um, <laughs> the Swift oh, compiler so while the... can take yeah, hours so at okay. times to compile. Right. So while it's compiling, yeah, you're working on another project. Oops. Uh, so while it's compiling, I, I can talk to you. I can get on Twitter and, and interact with the community. So oh, I go. see. Okay. Okay. Um, Okay, and, I see and, it. You uh, sent you sent studies and stuff. Brain flip. Yeah, my portmanteau of uh, brain fucking lisp. Because you actually you have to wrap all the operators in parentheses, and I've actually exceeded. If you open that in Safari, it it uh, causes a rendering bug because it uh, uses too it, the line is too long. So open it raw, and and you'll see the program at the bottom. Okay, so this actually like brings up something that I wanted to to, to mention, um, and and we're maybe we're going a little out of order here, but like and we're kind of freestyling here. If you're if you're open to it, you know mm -hmm. I'm, I'm super down because I'm really enjoying the conversation with you. Your oh, pinned thanks. tweet on your your profile or your you know your Twitter feed or whatever, it says walk into the club like postulate extensiality, and you have this like whole thing. Uh, maybe we can explain like what that is, but sort of what I'm what I'm interested in is, do you remember we recently had, I started like a little Twitter sort of talk, um, trying to remember, okay, uh, in Swift 4, tuple splat is completely removed. Um, it's sort of half removed in Swift 3 right now. So you, you have, I'm trying to remember, a function takes... Um, a tuple with let's say two arguments you know so a, i don't know what you'd call that like a two two to, uh, you know so a function uh, there's a tuple a, a function takes two ints right a is an int and b is an int right then you have a tuple uh, call it you know let tuple equal parentheses you know one comma two right a tuple of two ints mm -hmm. and then you call that function and you just pass in the tuple Right, so Chris Slatner calls that tuple splatting. That you can no longer do, if I'm not mistaken, in Swift 3. Yeah. But what you can do in Swift 3, but not in Swift 4, I believe, is um, have a, let's say you have an array of tuples, of, of that same kind of tuple, and you say, you know, tuples.map, and then you call the function. You just pass the function directly in there. I believe you can maybe still do that. However, in Swift 4, you're not going to be able to do that, but you will be able to um, pass in a function that has, let's say, one argument, which is a tuple. You will be able to do that in Swift 4. Um, okay, I mentioned this on Twitter, and I was like, hey, what's going on? Like, I really like this feature. Like, 
And then it kind of started like a whole conversation. And by the end of it, there was this one comment where it was like a chain of like A to B to C to C. And it went down in a triangle, like all the way down into like a triangle. <laughs> Do you remember what I'm talking about? <laughs> Do you remember what I'm talking so. about? Yeah. What is all that stuff? Um, and it relates to this, like your pin tweet, like what is all this? It's all just like functional programming. What is all this stuff? So there were, there were two things that you brought up and one was the pin tweet and the other one was, uh, SE, the fallout of SE 110, I believe. Okay. Um, and so I'll, I'll mention the pin tweet first cause it's, it's, uh, shorter, I guess. Um, that, uh, if you put that into a buffer with the extension Agda, you will get access to a thing called function extensionality, which lets you assert that two functions are like we, we're used to like regular value equality, where like two integers are equal when they have the same bit sequence, or two strings are equal when they compare lexicographically equal, or you know things like that. But okay, <laughs> ask yourself. So ask yourself the question: If I write cat in Swift and I write cat in Haskell, the the terminal command. Uh, and I feed them the same inputs, and they give me the same outputs. Could we say that they're equal, even though they're written in completely different languages and they may have completely different binaries? Could we say that they're equal? Interesting. You mean like actually writing uh, the string cat? No, like the the program cat. Oh, it, it like in a, Unix it takes input like, and just spits it back out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like cat whatever file. Let's say. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Are you um, saying but if, if you, you if you wrote if you, sorry, go ahead. I'm saying if you wrote it in two different languages or you wrote it in the same language two different ways, oh. but you run the program and at every point when you run the program, it, you and you feed it the same input, you get the same output from both of them and they're the outputs are equal. Isn't that a isn't that equal? Isn't isn't that equality? Interesting. So it doesn't really and matter so what's on the is, inside. Exactly. Extensionality says it doesn't matter what you implemented the function in or how you implemented the function. What matters is if the two can be observed to be equal at every single point, then the functions are equal. And so and this is, is uh, yeah. <laughs> and so is this sort of like you walk into the club and you leave your swagger at the door or something like you walk into in the club sense, and like we're all the same? Uh, postulate. Uh, is a keyword in Agda that says, I don't have to prove this because uh, we have yet to find uh, useful proofs of it involving extensionality. By useful, I mean ones that don't give up decidability. Um, extensionality, you can't prove it in, in what well, hasn't been proved in a reasonable programming language in, in general uh, because you can imagine uh, uh, feeding it to two functions that spin forever like you can you can imagine computing the equality of two functions that will just like never give you the same never give you an input until the heat the death of the universe um and you you have to assert an equality by feeding them multiple arguments you know like you're getting to like infinite heat deaths of the universe level of of asserting inequality and it, it doesn't work in general but it wow. is something that you need at times because extensional equality is the canonical definition of equality in mathematics. It's something that just you get for free if you're doing math. And so it's like we're very interested in finding a, an interpretation of it uh, for, for um, computer okay. programs. Especially. Okay, real quick, before we go to the second thing, I just have to say something. Yes. I, I say this at my meetups. <laughs> uh, I try to always remember to say this at my meetups, and it's this. 
do not worry if you do not if you don't understand everything that me, let's say, as the session leader of the meetup, uh, is uh, that I'm saying. Just let yourself <laughs> be exposed to the information, because the more you're exposed to information that you don't understand, where in, where you are trying to understand it, the better off you will be later on when you're trying to understand it again. And so I don't understand everything that you're saying, but it's interesting <laughs> nonetheless. Okay, now the second yeah, it's part. A fundamental problems in computer science thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's interesting because I notice I notice these. Like I remember uh, Harlan posted something on Twitter. It was like this, like this, like chain of words. Like I know the words separately, but when put together, I don't <laughs> understand what you're saying. Okay, so anyways, the second part, um, like when there was that like kind of Twitter like conversation that I sort of spurred, but like you guys took it in a whole another direction. Like, what were you? I think you were talking about currying actually. So like, what was all that? Yeah. So SE one one. Ten. What you explained uh, initially was, we now make a distinction between a function that accepts a tuple of arguments. So a tuple that you're used to writing in string, array of something, all all in parens, and a function that takes a singular tuple of arguments, which is that plus an extra set of parentheses. So the functions that we're used to writing are the first kind, the ones right. that SE one one ten brings up, means that when we go to when you have a like say you zip two lists together, like you right. uh, the, there's a function in the standard library to zip two sequences together, uh, and then you get an array at the end that has a tuple of of whatever the things were in the first thing and whatever the the things were in the second list, and then you try to map that tuple, the resulting type of the function that map expects now that we've implemented SE1110 is the second kind. So if you attempt to pass the function of the first kind into the second kind, you'll get a type error. And I had the wonderful privilege of, uh, before we fixed the diagnostics about this, upgrading a framework to Swift 4. And it was something else. Um, but there are ways of working around this, and uh, we will no doubt find them. I mean, 1110 corrects an internal issue of like tuple splats were not the most fleshed out idea in the world. And in doing so, it's revealed, you know, some shortcomings that, that we, we have to patch. And, and that's what proposals do every once in a while. You know, like we had to do that with file private. Um, dun, dun, dun. And, <laughs> yeah, I'm not getting into that, but, um, I, I did have to post to the list at one point, like your definition of file private in the initial proposal causes uh, the compiler to assume that certain classes are inaccessible and then it just straight up deletes them out of the binary, which is bad. Um, and also, if you think about this, not from a compiler engineer's standpoint, it actually, the new definition of private, if you applied it in a certain place, meant that you couldn't use the thing. Uh, you, you couldn't slip. actually use the class if you marked it private. And I'll so slip. it's like, okay, we, we created a keyword that creates dead code. Uh, so we're going to have to fix this proposal. You know, All, all <laughs> Swift evolution uh, conversations lead to access control. Okay, so, so are you saying in Swift 4, like the t whole tuple handling, it's, there's still room to like 
room for for improvement after Swift four? Yeah, oh, there's always room for improvement. Okay. So okay, Slava's so then- idea was that we would create this magic member, maybe called dot apply or something, that would translate functions from the first kind to functions of the second kind, so that you could just say f dot apply instead of having to write the whole thing out, uh, which is an idea. Um, Okay, so then what was the whole conversation then on Twitter, like with that triangle? When I write, it was like all about currying or something like that, like functions that have other functions as input, so functions that take functions and return functions. So one of the one of the commenters in that thread posted, he thought it was related to currying. It's not uh, okay. necessarily related to currying, but translating between functions of the first kind and functions of the second kind is actually an identity, which is the weird part. So like 110 introduces kind of a odd thing into the type system now. Uh, but actually I, I have this in my 4.0 branch, which I can link here. I had to write that function uh, to get something to compile. Uh, and I had to write it with a lot more arguments than he did. Uh, okay, I think so I found... let me see if I can find that branch for you. I've, I don't know if... I've, okay, here we go, here we go. I think... Yeah, okay, so then... So we, we were talking about one thing, and then it sort of got sidetracked, and it started talking about something else. Yes, is, yes. Is what you're, okay, okay. Well, sometimes on Twitter, <laughs> um. <laughs> and like these things, it's like you guys end up talking about like these like really like functional sort of mathematical looking coding stuff. And I'm like, what are these guys talking yeah. about? <laughs> I'm a huge fan of, of, of that kind of thing because I feel like um, yeah, the terminology is gross. I, I get it. Um, and in some respects, there isn't necessarily a way around it because uh, category theory, like French, is a language. And it's a language that you just have to immerse yourself in uh, in order to understand certain aspects of it. But that doesn't mean that you can't you know, draw pictures or, or read plain text explanations of things, but you do lose semantic content uh, that way. And and so I guess it doesn't excuse anything. Um, uh, one thing I just thought excuse, of excuse is... Me. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I gotta read something real quick. Sorry. Uh, no, no, that's okay. Go ahead. Um, one thing that... Yeah, I'm back. It's oh, fine. okay. Yeah. Everything okay? Yeah, it's fine. It oh, okay, okay. One thing, um, I we're 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 really freestyling right now, but I really am enjoying this. And so, since we are, I want to bring up something. Uh, there was, I think, maybe was it? I don't know if it was Michael Ilsman or or someone on. I think Twitter just said like really awesome work to you. You got something huge like merged in recently. What was that? Do you hmm. remember? Um, so that I call it the space engine. Um, but that's really a very marketing ish name for it, a uh, kind of entertaining name for it. Um, so if you go into Swift right now, um, and this is one of the first bugs that I ever opened. I think I, I mentioned that in, in the tweet was, uh, that if you like switch, you, you can switch on a lot of different things in Swift. And it's, it's one of my favorite features is being able to like write switch and then, all your cases can be expressions or or you can overload that that tilde equals operator to get a custom pattern match or or you can you can decompose things into into 
into their respective components and and just walk into them and it's very it's very mathematical and it appeals to me uh, at that level um, but unfortunately there were a lot of bugs in the implementation that we had because I, I felt at the time that the way that we had implemented it was too low level, like we had lost a lot of semantic content. And at the same time, the algorithm that we were using wasn't sufficient for what it was meant to do, which was report back to you about whether something, whether you've handled all the cases when you switch over something. And so um, I, I remember just thinking, like the the thought that I wish uh, uh, all all of your your listeners will have at some point is, um, this isn't great, but I can make it better, and so I found uh, multiple research papers that talked about this. Um, uh, one by Luke Maringet and the other one by I really hope I'm saying this right Feng Yin Lu, um, and they mentioned implementing algorithms for that. And in fact, uh, Lu's algorithm is in the Dottie compiler for Scala. Um, and I started writing it, and and it turned out to have all these wonderful properties about it. And I, I, I really wish I could actually do research about this problem. But like, um, because of all those wonderful properties, not only was I able to completely rewrite exhaustiveness analysis, I was able to give you a, re- a diagnostic, in, which is a video in, in the tweet, uh, showing that the new version of the Swift compiler can compute the missing cases and actually insert them for you. For you to handle later, uh, and finally, it can uh, it it doesn't use uh, uh, like a very very low level check for whether you've duplicated logic in a certain place. So now, because it's completely syntactic, it's able to detect when you write uh, a sw- a switch case that is already handled by some combination of the previous cases. It doesn't have to be like. It doesn't even have to be one case that you're duplicating. If you handle a case, like three cases before, you're just putting on a tuple or something, and then you write an extra case that happens to overlap completely with those three cases put together, then you get told uh, that that case uh, overlaps. And wow. it's all a function of that that algorithm, and it's wonderful. Wow, okay. Uh, maybe I'm going to need a link to, to, I think you explain all this stuff or a lot of this stuff in the PR or it, it wasn't a proposal, was it? Or was it? Was it fuzzy? Was no, it, was it, I, it was didn't it? need to be a proposal. Cause <laughs> it, it is it is technically source breaking in that the old exhaustiveness analysis could have allowed you to write incomplete switches, but it is not source breaking enough to go through evolution. So it was a patch. Okay, so as a PR. I will find that for you. Okay, awesome. Okay, so it's Mother's Day today. Uh, and uh, we actually recorded the the we're, we started this an hour early. Um, at least I I wanted to. That way we would finish early enough so I could go to Mother's Day. But we end up just like almost going <laughs> an extra hour, which is good. Maybe that's the, the reason why. Um, but at some point this interview it has to end, and there's still so much uh, that we didn't even get a chance to talk about. Um, you know, I wanted to I wanted to learn about like you. You were interning at Apple last summer. You're interning again this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so last year you interned at on the front end team. Um, wh- real quick, like why is it called front end team? Like wh- front end means compiler, mm-hmm. right? Like why do we? What's the po- like? Why do we uh, describe it that way? Not necessarily. That's the fun part. Modern compiler development has has really taken a, a very interesting approach to building a compiler because there's 
there's many different moving parts in a compiler. And, and I, I really appreciate that we're, we're sort of getting to the point where we have this very clear understanding of what those pieces are, because it was very unclear before um, what they should have been. But uh, the front end is the part of Swift that people interact with. Right. It is the Swift command. It is the it is the thing that that uh, you compile your code through. It's uh, everything up until the 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 sill optimizer is what we call it, uh, and then the sill optimizer team takes over from there, uh, and then they hand us back optimized sill, and then the front end takes over once again, and we translate that sill into LVM IR, uh, LVM's intermediate representation, and then we feed that IR into the LVM compiler, and we're done. Uh, so Jesse Squires has a really good talk on on this. I think it's related to kind of what you were saying because I remember him talking about SIL and intermediary representation or whatever, and it's like yes, yeah. I remember this kind of chain uh, him talking about it in that talk. So I'm going to link to that. So definitely people that are interested in that can take a look to get an explanation. Um, okay, yeah. maybe you can just because um, again, there's all these different things that I wanted to get to, but we do need to end at some point. So maybe you can just kind of like. In a couple words, if you want, like, I don't know, your experience um, as a Swift um, intern last year, feel free to, like, you know, give a shout out if you want to also. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, I don't know, maybe a quick sentence or two about last year's experience. Um, my experience interning on the Swift team was absolutely formative, one of the greatest periods of my life. And I say one of the greatest because I'm really hoping now that I'm coming back that uh, I can I can uh, have have even more more of the same uh, yeah. kind of thing, and I appreciate the help that I received from everybody on everybody in DevTools, everybody at Apple that I even interacted with in in any capacity was infinitely helpful, was infinitely willing to take the time out of their day to walk you through whatever questions you had, whatever issues that might have arisen, whatever thing you were uncertain of. And I think that kind of environment is really what makes the experience uh, uh, as rich as it was. And, uh, and for that, I mean, if we're, we're going to do shout outs to my office mate, Harlan, um, I'll see you again uh, in, a couple, in a week, actually, uh, <laughs> to... Jordan Rose, who was technically my mentor for the internship last year, uh, for, for, for being there for me, for, for every little thing, for, for making sure that I held to a schedule and, and, and helping me put out a finished product, uh, and, and for every, every discussion that we had about, about every little thing in the language, uh, to, to Doug Greger and John McCall, to Michael Ellisman, to Joe Groff and to Slava Pestov and to Giga and to uh, Argirios Kirtsadis and every, every Nicole Jacques, everybody, everybody in, on that floor. Wow. I'm eternally grateful for the experience, and wow. and hopefully we can we can have a repeat next next year. Yeah, or this wow, year actually. Wow. <laughs> okay, so then looking forward, uh, any thoughts on this uh, upcoming? Um, I mean, you kind of mentioned it already. You hope it to be as great, but uh, anything in, in particular looking forward to this? I mean, you're on the static analysis team this year. Like, what's that? Yes, I am. I am always. Uh, my perspective on this is that I'm going to try my best to push Swift towards 
that interactive future of compiler development of of having a type system and and a static analysis system and a semantic analysis system that's rich enough to not just yell at you when you're wrong but to work with you the developer to make it right again and maybe even a step further to help you write code this is super super interesting um because you know we have uh, and look Maybe we're getting, I don't want to like get into any ideas that you've had that maybe you don't want to share, but like I, and, and if it's like secret stuff or anything, but I um had this idea and I'm sure a lot of people have, and maybe it's been on TV or something, but like, you know, you have Siri for instance, or like this thing that you talk to that can do things on your phone. But like at some point the, that, whatever that intelligence, that computer smarts will be able to reprogram the the device to do other things. And that's really interesting um, when you talk about it from a compiler standpoint, because that's really what's going on. Whoa, that was a crazy sound. Um, like you have this, this compiler, this interactive, like, oh, that's really interesting. And then in, it start as you said, it even writes programs for you. I mean, that's essentially what it's doing already. Like, hey, you're missing the override keyword right here. Fix it. Boom. And it's there. Like, and pushing that forward. Wow. That's incredible stuff, man. Whoa. That's, I'm like getting goosebumps. That That is absolutely the, the future and the future, the future is now. I want to emphasize. I love the active programming language because it is the future that I envision. Agda? Because Agda, Agda, A-G-D-A, lets you write code alongside the compiler. So a lot of time I'll write down a type signature. I don't even have to finish the type signature. That's the beautiful part. I can hit load. The active compiler will, will open what are called holes in my reasoning. And it will use the information that I've given it to present me with a number of alternatives of implementations. It will write code for me. Wow. And so a lot of times when you're writing active programs, which is very distinct from writing a Swift program, you write down the problem as best you can, and the compiler, more often than not, is able to figure out the code that solves the problem. And then you spend the majority of your time trying to figure out, is that the correct solution? Is that the best solution? And oftentimes it is, especially I, if you describe the problem well enough. Uh, I never thought about it, um, like, I never thought about it that way. Like, that's really interesting. I mean, even, like, code completion is, like, a very, you know, very real, simple it's form very, of, like... It's very rudimentary, isn't it, though? Because uh, but, code completion requires you to think. Ah, uh, interesting, interesting, interesting. Uh, but then also, like, for instance, um, if you use an API that is, like, not available in... Like, you support iOS 9, and it's an iOS 10 API, it'll be like, hey, you know wrap it in this if block at availability like block but um i see what you're saying like taking it a step further and imagine it being like um kind of like the space engine thing that you sort of fixed it's like actually if you if you do it this way it'll be optimized like if you do the pattern this way it'll be better like suggesting these different patterns mm -hmm. isn't that kind of what the um, Swift op optimization is doing like already under the hood. Like I remember there was this Swift opti optimization talk from Dub Dub last year, where it's like, and there's the yeah. bytecode and whole module optimization, all that stuff. It's like, it's like optimizing the the like. So you might write it in one way, but when it gets like, compiled down, it ends up happening in some other smarter way. I don't know. This is really interesting stuff. So that that's one way to think about it, but I would argue that it's synthesis. 
in a way. It's not even starting with somebody's code and turning it into something else. It's starting with type signatures and empty function bodies and filling in the function bodies. Interesting. It's even more fundamental than that. It's it's being this is this is why I push static types so much because when you're able to let the type checker if you just give the type checker as much information as you possibly can, we can get to this point where you have to stop you can stop writing code because the compiler will do it for you. Wow. Wow. Okay, okay. That's the future. <laughs> Okay, so uh, real quick, if there's someone out there listening that um, potentially might be interested in, you know, doing an internship, um, whether it's at Apple or a similar type of company, um, or, you know, or if you're able to talk specifically about Apple, like, what would Mm -hmm. you say to someone like that, that could help them secure like uh, that type of opportunity? What could they do to, you know, stand out from the crowd or, or get a leg up? I am probably the wrong person to ask about this because of the story I told you about Max uh, oh, putting okay. my putting my resume out. But I, I, I mean, I, I also I'm not a CS student, so I mean, my my CS friends like to joke about how their their resume has been given to a million people, and and there's they feel like they have all these interviews and and they have to memorize all these algorithms and stuff. And it's like I, I didn't have to go through any of that, so I I really can't. Unfortunately, I can't really speak to that experience very much, but uh, okay. I, I would good. say knowing knowing people and interacting with people in the community is probably the best way to get started. Like, uh, I think Ankit Agarwal. Uh, yeah, Ankit Agarwal. Swift Package, Swift Package Manager. Man. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, he, I believe he started out as a contributor and he was just prolific. Just every single day he was improving the Package Manager and he was doing a fantastic job. He's working there now. You know, oh, we wow. take notice when you, that's when you amazing. to the compiler. Wow. That's super cool. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I, I've, I've never approached networking as networking, but I've certainly benefited from, from networking. But like, I've always just approached mm-hmm. it as like building a community, you know, and like, and I've mentioned it before on the podcast, like, you know, starting my meetup, like literally got me you know, the job, you know, job, like where I work now, um, not because I was like intentionally doing that, but it's just cause it happened. Um, and this sort of relates to like what I mentioned before about like, don't worry if you don't understand everything, just let like, just be engaged and let the information kind of wash over you is like one thing leads to another. And so because you might've, uh, been exposed to a particular experience, like y- you, you're, like imagine you're just like this little ping pong ball like falling down and you like bump into one experience that causes you to bump into some other experience. Um, And so definitely I think uh, networking or, you know, being a part of the community is like a big part of that. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, You know, you hear about opportunities, even just like reading a tweet and then that causes you to like go research something and then you are really into it. And and anyways, so – Okay, we really, uh, it's like past uh, 11.30 and I have to get ready and I have to get ready and I have to drive like an hour away for, for Mother's Day. So, but there's still, there was a couple yeah. other things. We're not going to talk about them, but we wanted to talk about like state of Swift open source. I would say it's awesome. You probably have a better idea um, uh, in a word, up, down, it's going good. What are your thoughts? Swift State of Swift open source? Swift is getting stronger by the day, and as, again, the more people that I can help and that anybody else can help bring into the fold, uh, the better. 
Awesome. Uh, we were going to talk about gripes with Swift, um, but yeah, again, no time. I don't really have any gripes. Um, yeah, I don't really have and anything. It goes back to the whole, like, if you ever find out that you have gripes, please shoot us a bug report because that's the only way that we know. Okay, cool. Sometimes. Awesome. Okay, cool. Um, all right, rapid fire real quick. Uh, what drives you? Mm-hmm. What drives me is... I guess we talked about it, right? We did sort of. It, it's it's that it's that desire to bridge the gap between mathematics and, and compilers at the moment. Uh, or, sorry, not compilers. Uh, mathematics and industry, really. Right. Like, okay. Cool. There's all this. There's wonderful thing that we can do if we just stop talking through each other. Say wait. Say that again. Stop talking through each other. Yeah. If we stop talking past each other. Oh, I think there's wonderful interesting. Things we can do. Okay. Cool. And uh, you sort of also mentioned it, like what you were looking forward to. Um, uh, during this next internship of like improving the interactivity of the compiler. So it sounds like you're really passionate about that as well. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, desktop or laptop? Uh, currently using a laptop, did use a desktop for a while. Uh, I would use a desktop if it had a faster HDD on the inside. But other than that, laptop. What do you use to build the Swift project? I use uh, a twenty late twenty fifteen MacBook Pro, and it the fans go like the devil <laughs> when it when it gets compiling. So uh, we we you, I I would recommend uh, you can compile Swift on a Mac Mini. It will take forever, um, but MacBook Pro is just fine. It'll uh, starting from scratch. It'll take an hour. Starting from a from a Ninja build will take like a minute to five minutes. Right on. Yeah, that's. I think that's the same computer I use, and my fans definitely go too. Uh, standing or sitting? Uh, I've tried a standing desk, and I I prefer sitting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes I have to sit to focus, but sometimes I like to just. Yes, yes, but um, I will okay. stand up to like use a whiteboard a lot, so maybe. Oh, nice. Yeah, to whiteboard or not to whiteboard? I should probably get on there some more. Okay. Uh, Git from the command line or from the GUI? Uh, Git from the command line, unless I need to view history, then I prefer to see the log in GitHub for Mac. GitHub for Mac. Okay, cool. Awesome. Uh, favorite uh, source editor like Vim, Emacs, Sublime, Atom, Xcode? Uh, I, am, I am an agnostic, uh, which is not a position. <laughs> uh, I, re- I realize... Uh, I spend a lot of time in Xcode, uh, right. uh, so I guess that would be that would be the choice, but not the preference, if that makes sense. How about like a terminal editor? Like if you're in the terminal and you open a file, uh, that's not a Swift file. How are you opening that file? It depends on the file is the fun part. Like for I will use Vim for just short changes that I need to make to things. I'll use yeah. Vim for Swift. Uh, but if I need to open Cock or Active Files and I need a proof assistant, uh, then I'll use Emacs. Oh, cool. So Emacs uh, has like these mathematic features for proofs and things like that? Emacs has a famous mode called Proof General that does wow. Hall, Isabel, uh, 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 Cock, uh, all the theorem provers it, it supports. Uh, and Agda has a famous mode too, which works for Emacs and also for Atom, now that I think about wow. it. Wow. Shout uh, out to my coworker, Nathan. He uses SpaceMax. And as I said, he's a mathematician. <laughs> or he, went, he studied math, so he might know about this proofs mode. I'm going to have to ask him about that. He's also really into, I can't remember this language, SML. And he talks about how everything yes. is like an expression and everything is a switch statement or something like that. So I thought about that when you were, <laughs> when you were talking about Space Engine. Am I correct? Am I understanding him right? 
something like that, right? Uh, there are no statements in SML. Um, yeah, maybe that's what he and, said. Everything is like a switch yeah. statement or something. Uh, uh, there's a lot of decomposition, and I I really appreciate that level of thinking because that's what a lot of math is: is building things up and breaking them back down again. Uh, testing or no testing? Always testing. In fact, property testing, uh, if you can help it. And uh, if you can offload that to your types, even better. But if you're still using types, don't mistake that for I don't need a test suite. Interesting. Okay. So what do you mean property testing? And what do you mean offloading the testing to your type? Uh, you can describe invariants in the type system like the same way that Aquifer is able to describe uh, complete systems of pipes that don't explode uh, in the type system, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be testing Aquifer. Uh, we do test Aquifer with property testing, actually. Uh, and the way that you can you, you can check out SwiftCheck uh, if you want to learn about property testing. We have a tutorial okay. playground. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, property awesome. testing is a much more powerful form of testing than just unit testing alone. Interesting. Okay, okay. Is that like property assertion? Like, uh, I think there's this one library called Fox Property Assertion yes. Library. Okay. It's it's uh, it's the same spirit as Fox, but we we have a better. I think it's a better syntax. Uh, Jeff can come fight me about that. Okay, uh, Je Jeff Fox maybe. Uh, Jeff Foxworthy. <laughs> okay, type check. Yeah, dude, definitely. And property testing, and Fox definitely mm -hmm. gonna have to. Okay. Uh, last, the last few bits, uh, your Twitter bio, we kind of talked a lot about this, uh, desktop developer. Oh, so that's like the Mac stuff that you, you maybe used to do, or maybe you still yeah, do. Yeah, expanded slightly into Windows, maybe. Ooh. Trying to uh, fight my way through Visual Studio right now. Programming language enthusiast. I mean, we talked a lot about that. We can definitely, uh, feel and sense your passion over the wire for sure. Uh, re9e dot 20 uh maybe my, is that like one of my favorite like jokes one something okay what is that uh ignore the 20 oh okay re re9 read the, e. read the word word the word read the word back oh re-engine re-en no re-en-ni-ni so, so <laughs> engineer it's engineer in reverse so i'm a reverse engineer Oh, At times. engineer. Oh, ooh, that is clever. <laughs> so it's uh, that, that's the thing I didn't backwards. I didn't mention. Okay. Uh, I, I didn't mention during the talk, but I I do want to just give a shout out Hopper. Uh, if you're ever wondering why does why is this crashing somewhere deep in UI Kit, throw UI Kit in Hopper. Figure it out. Go what's, find it. What's Hopper? Hopper is a decompiler. It's got a very nice interface. Very easy to use. Uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, for anybody that wants to learn about how Apple writes things, there you go. Interesting. Uh, 20 doesn't work too 20? well with Swift, but it does work with Objective-C very well. Okay. What does 20 stand for? My age. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, I don't think we've ever uh, mentioned age specifically on this podcast. Uh, that's a first. So, But it's like actually a mm. podcast of many firsts. This is probably like the longest one, the most mm. uh, free-flowing. <laughs> I really love it. Aspiring yeah. type theorist. I would say you're you are it uh but it's cool that you're it's cool that you haven't published or graduated so oh wow right <laughs> setting setting the bar uh okay lambda delta wu-tang lover uh, lambda pi omega lambda pi oh sorry delta is a, a triangle lambda pi omega 
Cool. Lover. Okay, what is lambda pi? Lambda pi mean? omega is the uh, lambda pi omega is specifically the capital pi is the type system that underlies Agda, Idris, and Cock. It is uh, it's the calculus of inductive constructions, or it's equivalent to the calculus of inductive constructions. So oh, wow. I, I love that. I spend a lot of time in that. Oh, and there's a website. You link to it. Okay. Yeah, cool. it's also lambda pi omega, but it's uh, creatively using the extension to. Uh, it's got a terrible looking URL when you open it, but okay. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll, I'm going to take a look at that. Okay. Math, I don't post it's... too much in that blog. It's my exploration of Elm, to be honest with you. Oh, this is your blog. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's written in Elm. It was really just at the time to see what I could do with it. Okay. Uh, math at CMU. Okay. We understand that. Swift soon at Apple or soon Swift at Apple. Cool. Uh, what is, mm -hmm the cf and it's actually on your the elm website the the lambda alpha omega website it says cf in the top mm -hmm. left corner and then your profile picture is like cf your at your twitter handle is codify so it's also cf what's up with that so uh, or is that a secret uh, i i will uh... Uh, in the interest of time, I'll say it's a secret and that my Twitter username is, I consider it unpronounceable and I'm always interested to hear how people, how people say it. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, and you changed your name recently. I don't remember what it was before, but now it's John Surgent, <laughs> Surgent, and then like a, like uh, a model three, <laughs> Tesla model three symbol. Uh, my, my Twitter use, this is my running joke for a couple of years. My Twitter username changes to the computer science pun of the day or sometimes the week, uh, depending on, on how much I like it. Uh, and this, this particular moment in time, it's John Sargent equality. And so Connor McBride, who is a, a CS researcher, uh, has something called John major equality, which he wrote about, uh, in his paper, in papers about observational type theory, and John Major Equality is a British. It's a joke about a British politician because I think I I, I can't remember the joke particularly well, but it's like, it's uh, it has all the trappings and aspirations of extensional equality, uh, but it doesn't. It it's it's something weird. Like John John Major was a British politician. I think he was a conservative or something. And Connor isn't particularly fond of him. So it, it's kind of a mocking thing. Uh, so John Sargent is a British. Um, he's a he's a British TV presenter. And yeah, there's a lot of there's a nothing, lot of loops in this joke. <laughs> nothing is simple. Nothing is simple with you, Robert. Nothing is simple. With you. Okay, and that, that's okay. another thing that you'll. you'll uh, I'll, I'll point out about Swift is a look, look at the branch names for, for any pull requests that you find. A lot of them are, are a little like, they're a little boring. They're like feature patch one, whatever. But every once in a while, we, Harlan and I have tried to start a thing where we have more entertaining branch names. I feel like uh, some kind of logic. Some of uh, Dave Abraham's, I believe I'm saying his uh, name right. <laughs> some of his commit messages are super funny. Yes. I don't know if you yes, ever noticed Dave that. Dave is a very funny guy, yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. We certainly uh, are at the end and over uh, the end. So uh, <laughs> last uh, couple things. Where can people contact you online? Uh, they can find me. I am most active on Twitter. And I again, I my DMs are open for anybody that wants to have a talk about anything related to Swift. Uh, I am at C-O-D-A-F-I underscore uh, Anybody at Twitter knows the guy who has the count without the underscore. He's been inactive for three years. I would really like it. 
Um, oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Otherwise, I'm on GitHub uh, at the, the right one um, without the underscore. Uh, <laughs> and I am on Swift Evolution a lot. But uh, other than that, I don't, I don't really do Facebook or LinkedIn or any, anything like that. I wonder if it's possible because uh, I want the at Swift Coders um, Twitter handle. And like, <laughs> I don't know how, in, how long that person's been inactive, but they're certainly inactive. I messaged them uh, the other day. I was like, hey, can I have the Twitter handle? And they haven't responded. Uh, do you, have you heard of anybody actually like successfully getting that done? There like, somehow? was, uh, I, well, somehow, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Twitter's maybe, maybe like uh, there's like Twitter should like open up some sort of like request form. Some official request form. Anyways. Um, you can if you're a brand, not if you're a human. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, I am a brand. I am a brand. I, I declare it here and now. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> last but not least, one piece of advice for people learning Swift. Go. Uh, for, oh, for learning Swift. Okay. Um, don't be afraid to try things. And this uh, is a wonderful tweet that showed up in my timeline. And it was like four comforting thoughts for using Mac OS or OS 10 or whatever. And, and, and one of them was like, you, you can click the mouse as much as, as, much as you want and, and it won't break anything. And, and any action, most actions are undoable. Uh, you, and the ones that aren't will warn you about. Like the comforting thought that you should have when, when writing Swift is nothing you do is going to like, cause anybody to look down on you at, at any point. If you're writing Swift and you're experimenting and you're going out and, and just finding all these fun problems to, to, to challenge yourself and, and improve your understanding, you're doing the right thing. In fact, you're, you're going above and beyond. So I would say keep experimenting. Don't necessarily take everything that you read on the internet at face value because certain tutorials are written from certain perspectives, and I'm very guilty of this, um, of, of writing things from my perspective. Uh, go out and, and find your own. You know, don't, 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 don't just read somebody's blog and say, oh, well, that's how the, the way the world is. You know, go figure it out. Yeah. Like go decompile that, things. Yeah. Don't, uh, you read it and you're like, okay, that's the way it's done. I mean, it's totally fine to do that. Like I do things because that's the way I learned how to do it, but it's always good to be open to like learning other ways mm -hmm. to do things and being curious to know like what's the best way maybe or a better way or a different way uh, or a more, more, whatever, yeah. more efficient way or, or something. Um, but I also like what you said about like, don't be afraid like to experiment, but, and don't be afraid to break things. Like that's one of the things that I was always yeah. sort of scared of at first when I opened Xcode was like, what can I touch and what can I touch? And I felt like this, <laughs> The Stanford course, um, Paul Haggerty did a really good job of like every time he'd open up a new project, he would delete like uh, delete the first few files that it gives you for free and, and create them from scratch to like show that you can mm -hmm. delete things. And I would always emphasize that at my meetups. Um, so, yeah, I really I really think that's great advice. OK, go forth and break things. <laughs> so, uh, Robert, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your story with us. Uh, what, mm -hmm. starting with uh, Lego Mindstorm, I guess it was, and then, you know, participating yeah. in these robotics competitions and uh, I think like these other types of like mathematics or, or programming competitions in high school it was. Uh, and then uh, I guess meeting uh, Matthew Vin, I believe his name was. and Matthew being, Lynn? Uh, oh, Lynn, Lynn, Matthew yeah. Lynn. Matthew and, Lynn, yeah. And being uh, inspired uh, sort of by him or mentored by him to find this kind of really beautiful, interesting connection between 
mathematics and programming, uh, and then deciding to, you know, to follow that uh, through your university where you are now. You are finishing up your sophomore year, or I guess you have already finished it, and you're going to be, um, you're going to be going to do your intern, your second internship at Apple, and then uh, starting your junior year uh, after that. And yeah, just really uh, thank you for sharing that story. Everything about you know mm-hmm. contributing to Swift Open Source and being a part of the community, and the things that excite you about this like interactive compiler thing. That's super cool stuff. Um, yeah, and I just really look forward to seeing like where you know where you go and and all the different things that you do and and uh, thank you for being a um yeah for making yourself available to ayaka and to me and to whoever else you have and will make yourself available to and uh yeah thank you so much thank you for having me on and for allowing me to to speak to you and your your viewers all right. <laughs> Sorry, starting, starting to lose my voice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right on. And that's the show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Swift Coders podcast. Feel free to share the show with a friend, leave a review on iTunes, or recommend us on Overcast. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hi, contact me on Twitter. Until next time. Go swiftly, my friends.